Beach Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Good morning to you. It's six o'clock on Tuesday, the 9th of January. This is Breakfast with Stephen Dixon and Isabel Webster. You're very welcome. Here's what's leading the news this morning. The government's scrambling to draw up plans to clear the names of hundreds of post office branch managers wrongly convicted of theft and fraud. Well, that's as Rishi Sunak says he would strongly support the Honours Committee if it chose to look into revoking the CBE of former post office boss Paula Venels. Our political reporter Catherine Forster has more. Yes, over a million people have now signed that petition and real pressure on the government to move and move quickly on this. They are talking about how to overturn all these wrongful convictions of hundreds of sub-postmasters and to do it quickly. We're expecting an announcement in the coming days. Let's see if at last things start to move a bit faster. Britain's being blasted by snow and ice as the Met Office warns of temperatures plunging to as low as minus nine degrees Celsius. Forecasters say the cold snap will be felt in the felt the hardest in the southeast. Well, of course, we'll get updates on your weather forecast throughout the morning with Aidan McGiven. There was a small amount of snow in places yesterday, and with a cold start again today, will there be any more of the white stuff? I'll have the full forecast coming up soon. Insurers say the number of pothole-related claims has increased by 40%. So we're asking, why aren't our roads being repaired? Mm, potholes, the bane of all of our lives. Unlike Paul Coit, who's uh, a joy and here with all of us. First time I've ever been linked to potholes. <laughs> yeah, I very much liked it. Um, Manchester United, through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. The draw was made last night. Gary Mabbott is in my bad books. I'll tell you oh. why very shortly. Uh, and also the sports world loses two true legends of the 1970s as well. Paul, thank you. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you this morning. As always, just drop us an email, gbviews at gbnews.com. Uh, this caught my eye this oh, yeah. morning, and I thought of you. Oh, yeah, what, it. Peter Kay's it's, weight no, loss? No, it's in the star. No, it's looking very good, Peter. He is looking good. Very good. It means their word of the day in the star is garlic bread as well, which oh. is... Uh, which, do you know the reference? No. Peter Kay? Oh, oh it's over my head. Garlic bread. 
Right. Very good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, apparently all the rage amongst yeah. women oh, yeah. in the UK yeah. <clears throat> are stress-busting rooms. Oh. Where you walk in with a metal pole... What? ..and smash up pots, plates... ..electrical appliances... Why do women have the rage particularly? Apparently. Oh, dear. Apparently it's... it's they're called rage rooms. Oh, no. And apparently they're very good um, and you... you need to smash it all out and moan <laughs> about your partners. £50 a person. Well, that might be why, yeah. Or £120 oh. for a group of four. No, I have got a room at home for relaxation. It's called the bathroom and that's where I go for a bath. Oh. But they've called me old-fashioned. Do you not fancy smashing things up? Um, sometimes. Yeah, I could definitely have a little go. It's a Greek restaurant. It's great fun. Mm. But, yeah, yeah I don't suffer you... with the rage a huge <laughs> amount. <laughs> 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 Might do um, in a bit. If, uh, if you've done it or you fancy trying it, let us know. GBNews at gbnews.com. Right, time 6.03. Here's our top story this morning. Government ministers have drawn up urgent plans to clear the names of more than 700 postmasters who were wrongfully convicted in what's been described as the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. Yeah, Post Office Minister Kevin Hollinrake says he and the Justice Secretary are looking to speed up overturning the remaining cases. So far, just 93 of these wrongful convictions have been quashed. Four people have taken their own lives and many others have been ruined. Well, MPs and members of the public, you and me, have asked whether it really should have taken an ITV drama mm. to bring the Horizon Post Office scandal into greater focus. Theo Chicomba has this report. The computer system post office spent an arm and a leg on is faulty. It's been described as one of the worst miscarriages of justice. More than 700 postmasters were accused of fraud over a faulty system. For decades, victims of the Post Office Horizon scandal have been fighting to have their wrongful convictions overturned. Less than 100 have been successful. Well, I've lost everything which I looked at uh, for my whole family buildings, uh, the whole building, plus my house. Uh, the reputation in the area which I've lived for 50 years. Uh, haven't been down, had to move out of the area to try and avoid seeing these people who I've known for so many years. Between 1999 and 2015, the post office spent millions prosecuting 736 sub-postmasters based on information from a computer system called Horizon. Some went to prison following convictions for false accounting and theft, leaving many financially ruined, castigated by their communities, and some took their lives. Questions are now being asked about how the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey, handled the scandal when he was a minister in the coalition government. Between 2010 and 2012, as the Postal Affairs Minister, Ed Davey was accused of refusing to meet Alan Bates, the sub-postmaster who campaigned to expose the scandal, which he denies. He says he was misled by the post office executives. I wish I'd known then what we all know now. The post office was lying on an industrial scale to me and other ministers. And when I met uh, Alan Bates and listened to his concerns, I put those concerns to the officials in my department, to the post office, to the National Federation of Postmasters. And it's clear they all were lying to me. Treasury Minister Bim Afalami says the government is taking this seriously, despite criticism over how long it's taking. 
It's not fair that it's taken the TV drama. As I said, we brought forward the post office compensation bill several months ago in order to bring this forward. We've already paid out interim payments for compensation. So we have already been working to deal with this in this government. But we know that not everything is done yet. And we'll, we will not rest until every single person wrongly treated in this has justice. Meanwhile, lawyer Nick Freeman says legal action needs to be taken quickly. All the names need to be pulled together. They need to go before the Court of Appeal, even if they don't want to, and have those convictions just overturned it. It would need an emergency legislation to deal with that. There are MPs who have done a sterling job in bringing this to the public and fighting for these sub-postmasters. Um, but was there anyone in the government who actually um, tried not to assist, tried to get in the way? I don't believe there was. Despite the scandal having been public knowledge for some time, the ITV drama has thrust it back into the limelight as pressure mounts on the politicians to be held accountable and accelerate the process to overturn the convictions of hundreds of postmasters. The H. Comba, GB News. Let us know if you've watched that documentary. Lots of people um, have been telling us that it, it moved them to tears mm. and it's been incredibly hard-hitting. Um, tell us what you think of that and, indeed, uh, the way this story's been progressing because there are now all these growing calls uh, to revoke the CBE of one of the former post office bosses, this time Paula Vanell's. Uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he'd strongly support the committee, the Honours Committee, if they considered such a move. Well, we've been asking for your views, of course. This is what you've told us. Oh, we'll ah. try that again. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so we'll get back to that in just a moment. Um, lots of pressure for the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey. He's been under fire for not doing enough to help the wrongfully convicted postmasters when he was Postal Affairs Minister between 2010 and 2012. He's claimed he was deeply misled himself. Yeah, it's not much of an apology, though, is it? Um, our very own Nigel Farage raised a good point on GB News last night. Mm. What about Sakia Starmer's role in all of this? After all... He was Director of Public Prosecutions at the time. The Director of Public Prosecutions, the DPP, which Starmer did, I repeat, from 2008 until 2013, has power under Section 6.2 of the Act to take over private prosecutions. So, actually, Starmer had the power to take over these prosecutions or, indeed, to say enough. And it's impossible to believe, given the hundreds of prosecutions that were happening, given the media uh, commentary that was taking place at the time, that he wasn't aware of it. So there we go. Questions for Sir Ed Davey and Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, let's have a listen now to what you say about all of this uh, in relation to the petition. I should take it off her, basically, because it was not anybody else's fault by theirs. So, fair comment. Why, why let other people suffer? Take it away and should be prosecuted, definitely. They were covering up and they knew them people had lost their businesses, killed, so whatever. It's basically down to them. So I think they should be prosecuted and paid for what they've done. I think she should, yeah, yeah. The scandal's happened, yeah, I think so. I think she should take it off her and... I think she should not have had it, basically. She caused more problems than she, like, resolved any, and she ruined people's lives, but, so she should not keep that CBE. I think it should be taken away from her, because people shouldn't be treated like that, I don't think. 
Well, there you go. No dissenting voices there. Uh, let's talk to our political correspondent, Catherine Forster. It's, it's a bit of a three-pronged issue, this, isn't it? Because you've got these now pressures, and pretty serious pressures on Keir Starmer and particularly Ed Davey, mm. um, but also then you've got the Prime Minister saying, well, this has got to be number one priority to sort it out. Yes, this is an issue which has been known about for many, many years. Um, it started in 1999 and people were prosecuted right up until 2015. It was first reported in 2009 by Computer Weekly, so some 15 years ago. And yet hundreds of sub-postmasters went to jail, had their lives ruined, some committed suicide, devastating effects. Only 93 of those have had those convictions overturned. There has been widespread media coverage over many years, and yet it has taken this ITV drama to really galvanise the, the outrage felt across the country and really put huge pressure now on the government. So awkward questions for Sir Ed Davey, who was um, post office minister 2010 to 2012. Um, why did he not do something? Why did he not act when Alan Bates came to him? He is saying that um, he was lied to on an industrial scale by the post office and by ministers that he wished he'd known then what he knows now. Also for Sir Keir Starmer, of course, who was, as Nigel Farage has said, director of public prosecutions for five years within this period. Now, Sir Keir Starmer's team are pointing out that largely these convictions were private prosecutions brought by the post office, not public ones. He was the public prosecutor. And also simply that they did not realise in any way really what was going on or, or the scale of this. But certainly difficult for the leader of the Liberal Democrats, difficult for the leader of the Labour Party and difficult for the government who have been in power since 2010 when this story was basically first beginning to break. Um, and a debate in Parliament yesterday, a sudden new found urgency, several things may happen. First of all, um, Paula Vanells may have this CBE ultimately stripped from her, not a decision for the government, but a decision for the forfeiture committee. It's been made very clear by the Prime Minister that he would support them looking into that. That's number one. Number two is all these hundreds of wrongful convictions. Now, the government, um, the Post Office Minister Kevin Hollenrake meeting the Justice Secretary Alex Chalk yesterday discussing how to speed this process up. Talk of legislation being brought before Parliament to basically um, quash these convictions en masse. We're expecting an update potentially as soon as the end of this week. That's the second thing. The third thing, of course, being the compensation. Now, Kevin Hollenrake saying that two-thirds of people have been fully and finally compensated. That still leaves, of course, hundreds who haven't. And also, who should be picking up the bill for this? The post office, of course, is owned by the government. In other words, the taxpayer. In other words, all of us. But this was a faulty software system made by a very profitable private company, Fujitsu, who are still being awarded government contracts. Shouldn't they be picking up part of the bill? Oh, it raises some really serious questions. Um, Catherine, thanks very much indeed. Thank you.
Right, with the time coming up to 6.15, let's take a look at all the latest headlines as they're coming into the newsroom here. Uh, and we can bring you the latest uh, on the uh, Jeffrey Epstein story. And these are the revelations in the latest court uh, documents that have been released uh, in the States. Uh, and this is to do with uh, videos, allegedly, uh, but which filmed by Jeffrey Epstein secretly uh, of a number of people, including Sir Richard Branson, um, and uh, he was allegedly having sex with young women. Uh, it's been dismissed, though, by the Virgin Boss as baseless and unfounded. The claim was made by Sarah Ransom, one of Epstein's unverified victims, who in newly unsealed court documents said she'd seen the sex tapes herself and was ready to testify in court. Well, a Virgin Group spokesperson has said that Ransom admitted she invented the tapes in a New York report published in 2019. Former US Presidents Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, as well as Prince Andrew, have also been named and also deny all allegations made against them. Channel 4 has criticised a decision by the media regulator Ofcom to appoint four white directors to the broadcaster's board. Yesterday, Lucy Fraser, the Culture Secretary, approved the roles of five new non-executive directors, four of whom are white. This sparked criticism from the broadcaster's chairman, Ian Cheshire, who said the appointments were lagging behind the channel's diversity targets. A spokesman for the Department of Culture, Media and Sports said appointments to the Channel 4 board were made by Ofcom following a fair and open competition. Right, it's been a very cold night. More snow flurries are expected across England today as the Met Office has issued an amber cold health alert for several regions until lunchtime on Friday. Yeah, the icy blast follows the aftermath, of course, of Penk, which left many areas flooded, leaving many unable to return to their homes. Well, let's get all the very latest from weather journalist Nathan Rao, who's here in the studio with us. We even had snow in the capital, which you don't see too often yesterday. Some of it settling a little bit and quite bad down in the southeast. Yes, How's we did. it been overnight? Right, it is very, very cold. Now, the Met Office is warning we are going to go into a significant change in the weather because the theme really going forward is going to be cold. Now, as you mentioned, the UK Health Security Agency has upgraded a yellow health alert to now amber in parts of the country, which is really the increased severity of it. And that means that whereas yellow is for people who are more at risk of, of cold weather um, events, the elderly, those at risk, mm. uh, amber is really the, the entire population and a wider net of the health services likely to be affected. So we are about to get very, very cold. Oh, what do we mean by cold? The Met Office is saying minus nine in rural Scotland and minus seven in rural Wales. I think if the Met Office is saying minus nine this week, you can knock a couple of degrees off that because with the wind chill, it is going to be even colder. How, but, how normal is it to get those sorts of temperatures it, in places like yeah, rural Scotland? Yeah, I mean, Scotland? it sounds a lot. It's not unusual it's not in unusual. Scotland to get minus nine at this okay. time of year. I mean, we've had minus 15 before up there. We've had minus 20 up there before. It is January after all. And we do have a northeasterly coming in from Scandinavia. Scandinavia. So, whereas we've had the westerly influence of storm after storm after storm, ending in Storm Henk just, just um, a few days ago, now we are getting northeasterly and that means mm. cold. But it does, of course, mean problems for the people that are flooded still. Yeah, oh, yeah of course it does. Yeah. Um, how long may we have to put 
put up with this? With the cold or the flooding? Well, uh, well, let's start with the cold. The cold is likely to hang around. Now, this week, the forecast is for high pressure over the United Kingdom, just to the northeast, which means cold and relatively dry. That doesn't mean we won't see the odd snow flurry. As we saw in London yesterday, there was a flurry of snow in the afternoon, so there may be flurries through the week, but it's looking dry, sunny, sunny at times, but very, very cold with a cold northeasterly wind. Now, as we go into the weekend, this is where it's going to change because that high pressure to the northeast is going to move south and a low pressure over Scandinavia is going to build and that is going to increase the risk of snow. So we are all watching this Gosh. weekend onwards for not just cold but snow. Maybe a lot of it. We don't know yet, but that's what we're watching. But in terms of the cold weather holding out, it looks like through the rest of the month. There's nothing mild on the way. Mm. Oh, and th yeah, I mean, sorry the, about that. No, no, and the problem with this, those people who are already flooded yeah. and things, right, it might be dry, yeah. as it were, but then we've got the thaw. Yes. Now, um, the Environment Agency has more than 100 flood alerts and 100 flood warnings still in place, and they are warning that really for the next few days, those affected areas, which are the areas along the River Thames, the River Trent, the River Neen, um, which are all suffering from floods at the moment, those areas are going to continue to be at risk of flooding through the coming days. Now, with the cold temperatures, it just compounds the misery, because with the clean-up operation, you know, and getting... You, if you're flooded, the last thing you want is for temperatures yeah. To plummet, which they are well, going also to do. the risk, mm. presumably, where there's a lot of surface water and then freezing temperatures, you've yep. got this risk of ice, Absolutely. and that makes it incredibly dangerous to drive because, of course, you can't see it. Yes. Um, and you, I was actually reading tips last night about using cat litter on driveways if people oh, didn't yeah. have grit because it just reduces the risk <coughs> of falls and slips and broken bones and also your car skidding yeah, out of one, control. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you shouldn't do is hot water because that's just going to freeze. And okay. certainly not on car windows and yeah, things, you yeah. know, you know, scrape it off. Don't, don't, I've seen people out you know, with kettles <sighs> on their windows thinking, good grief, don't, don't be doing that. Mm. But, no, we are going into a very cold period of weather. Um, so wrap up and get ready, possibly, possibly for snow from the weekend. I mean, there might be a flurry before yeah. then, but um, that's what we're looking at. Oh, lovely, Nathan. See, yeah, snow, snowmen could soon be on the horizon then. Yeah. It's something yeah. to look forward to. <laughs> yes. There are some benefits. You know, we always report this as a terrible thing. And, yes, it is inconvenient. And, yes, it does, you know, I think there's an increase in heart attacks, isn't there? And yeah. Like that when temperatures drop. But also but for a lot of people, like it. it brings a lot of joy. I think it's w mm. worse as well because it's coming in the aftermath of the floods. I mean, we that are yeah. literally yeah. coming yeah, off the yeah. back yeah. of heavy flooding yeah, and yeah. so yeah all right nathan thank you thank you well do you know actually what uh, very wet weather and very cold weather and the fact that it changes quite rapidly do you know what it's really bad for what's it really bad for potholes oh gosh it really because it just the contraction and the expansion it's really mm. bad for potholes Ugh. well if you think they're bad now <laughs> and despite all of the weather issues they are going to get worse pothole claims believe it or not are up 40 percent in a year. Mm. Vehicle insurer Admiral recorded over 1,300 claims across 2023. That's up from the 900 they saw in the previous year. Uh, but it's not just that, it's costing more per claim. Yeah, the average payout, more than three grand. That's a very nearly 30% increase. So the question is, why isn't all this being sold? Mm. Well, let's speak to Tenterden Town Councillor David Ward. Good morning to you. That's a very appropriate name for a councillor, isn't it? <laughs> um, listen, potholes are the absolute bane. Whenever we talk about it on this programme, the inbox is inundated. People really hate potholes, and yet we know how much councils are struggling to balance the books at the moment, and I suppose repairing the roads is a pretty low priority. 
Well, good morning, and thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, and we, ha we are facing a plague of potholes, but I think it's important to understand that fundamentally the weather is not to blame. You know, we have winters every year, uh, and they can be planned for. The fundamental problem has been underfunding of local authorities for a, more than a decade. So um, local authorities have lost about 27% of their central government support, and that's had a huge impact on highway budgets. And what councils have ended up doing is what we call just patch and dash, which is they go to the worst holes, they quickly patch them up. Within a few weeks, they're, all, they're worse again. And it's basically a false economy. What we need is a long-term deal to really sort out repair of roads um, and, and stop all of this, which causes huge uh, costs to motorists and even worse, serious risk, death even for cyclists. One cyclist, according to Cycling UK, uh, is killed or seriously injured on our roads because of, because of potholes um, every week. Well, look, people will understand why you say there's not there's not enough budgeting for this, and and it, but but frankly, if the situation is as bad as it is, councils need to be making this their or at least one of their priorities, don't they? Sorry, I've I've lost your sound. I can't hear the question. Ah, uh, right. We'll try and we'll try and sort that out with with uh, with David. But I mean. I know he's saying the, the patch and dash thing because mm -hmm. it literally does no good at all. Mm -hmm. You've got to properly do it. You've got to lift it up, do yeah. all the sub-levels and all the rest of it, which costs a lot more money. Mm -hmm. But what's the point in patch and dash? It is li you're literally throwing mm -hmm. money away. Mm -hmm. so, well, the trouble is, if, if you don't deal with it properly, people, I've seen this, people take the matter into their own hands. And we've even seen celebrities going out, haven't we, with shovels and, and fixing oh, potholes. Yeah, Rod Stewart was out doing it. And mm. that's the problem. People are so frustrated, they're actually going to put themselves in harm's way, standing on the road, fixing the pothole in front of their driveway, because they're just so fed up of the damage to their car. Well, you've got to, um, you know, make your voice heard on that. And mm. I know councils are, are tight with money, but... Um, they've got to prioritise where they spend mm. it. OK, um, let's get a check on your weather for you this morning, because, as we've been saying, it is very, very cold. Aidan's got all your details. Hello, a very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly south Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry. A lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray Forth. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be. Minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost-free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving. A lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday. And some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the southern uplands. Otherwise, rain at lower level feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK. For Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells. Widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius.
If you've got a beautiful winter wonderland this morning, send us your pictures. Oh, um, I think it's only going to get more beautiful and spectacular as the week goes on. We may as well um, cheer ourselves might up. Might as well. Yeah, try and see the beauty in it at least. Um, and we'll also be seeing the beauty in the sport with... <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Paul Coit is here in just a moment. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News, Britain's news channel. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. of the usual focus-tested, pre-prepared Westminster runaround, well, so am I. So you want higher taxes? Is your department to blame for this? Are you rethinking this policy? Every Sunday at 9.30, I'll be sitting down with those in power to get the truth about the issues affecting you. Let's be honest, we've known about the cost pressures of this project for years, not months. That's the Camilla Tomini Show, a politics show with personality. On GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels. We're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Time is fast approaching half past six, and you are tuned into Breakfast on GP News with Stephen and Isabel. Here's a reminder of our top stories this morning. Well, the government's scrambling to draw plans to clear the names of hundreds of post office branch managers wrongly convicted of theft and fraud. The Prime Minister would also strongly support the Honours Committee if it chose to look into the revoking of the CBE of the former post office boss, Paula Venels. And Britain has been blasted by snow and ice. It's going to continue as well because the Met Office is warning of temperatures plunging, plunging to as low as minus nine. Oof. Forecasters say the cold snap will be felt the hardest in the southeast. Right, it's time to go through all the latest sports news this morning with the broadcaster, Paul Coit, who joins us in the studio. Hello. Hello, how are you? Very yes. good, thank all you. All right. Shall we start with the... De Kaiser. Oh, you want to I start want to go with De Kaiser. I want to go straight in there. I need an accent from you, Paul. I will not be happy unless I get one. We are going to talk about the Kaiser. <laughs> Very Franz good. Franz Beckenbauer. Because I'll tell you what, because although, I mean, you know, I, my football knowledge is ever slightly limited. It's OK. Even I remember the yeah. Kaiser back from the early 90s and things when he was a manager. From And he when he was truly at his best, was as a player. Now, okay. Franz Beckenbauer died yesterday. 
age 78. There he is, lifting the FA Cup uh, in 1974. There he is, it's a very young man. Now, this, this probably yeah. would have been, I'm, I'm guessing, I haven't seen any of this. 1966, um, he played for Germany against England in the World Cup final. That was where he really made his name. So he was only 20 then, and he marked Bobby uh -huh. Charlton. And is it an ironic that their careers had been almost parallel and their deaths have as well Ooh, because yeah, within so. three months and and we look at all the real greats of football Pele died uh, a year ago we had Diego Maradona the year before that but I guess this is the age we're getting to now <clears throat> and um, Franz Beckenbauer he was called the Kaiser you would think the Kaiser because of being such a great footballer and obviously being German and it, it kind of makes sense the actual story apparently came about when he was in Austria and he was there with Bayern Munich, who he was the captain of, and he won three European Cups and one of the true greats there. And um, there was a, a statue there of uh, the Kaiser at the top. We were Franz Joseph, the, the very oh, old yeah. Kaiser in, in uh, the Austrian uh, emperor. So there was just a photograph of him being taken next to it. So then the press said, oh, it's the Kaiser with the footballing Kaiser. Uh, and then it went on from there. And that's how he's always been known as the, the Kaiser, Kaiser. The right, Kaiser. Up to, right up to the uh, present day. And, and there we are. There's more footage of him playing for West Germany, as it would have been back in the 70s. Then went on to manage the side. So he's only three players have ever done that, have managed and played in a World Cup winning side. So, Franz Beckenbauer is one. Um, the other one is Didier Deschamps uh, from France. And also Zagallo, who only passed away last week. Another one. It's all this thing. Getting to that age. 78 seems no age to me, really, no, in this no. day and age. Why do these fit? Footballers seem to... I mean, that's, that's an open question. Obviously, no answer to that. Well, maybe you'll speak to the doctor about this. Yeah, but, it's just uh, a but shame, isn't it? it of course young. it is. But I, I believe that he had been he had been unwell for some time. Mm. But there was controversy around him as well because towards the end of his... This is kind of upsetting. When you see what a great he was around football, successful footballer, one of the greatest of all time, manager as well, then this controversy that came around FIFA, a World Cup, talk about bribes that were actually yeah. uh, passed over that got South Africa the World Cup and then of course later Russia and also Qatar as well and 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 it tarnished I mean well it tarnished the career I think it probably did towards the end of his life mm. but still if we look back at the Kaiser we remember the great footballer and the great manager as well yeah okay right how we go from someone that legendary to the FA Cup I don't know because that's lost its so the magic of the FA Cup we're saying last week it's lost its shine a little bit you think it? the luster the luster lost, lost its luster it just a little, little bit I still like to believe in the FA Cup. Okay. Um, for those of a certain age, me, 33, 34, <laughs> that remembers the FA Cup when it was uh, at, at, at its zenith, the, the draw for the fourth round of the FA Cup was made yesterday and some, some great games that came up. Now, Gary Mabbott, who's a friend of ours, we've had Gary oh, yeah. Mabbott on the show before. Mm -hmm. Now, Gary... Being, Very famous, second most famous diabetic in the country. That's exactly right, yes. Here's the, here's the second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's Gary and then he was making the draw for the uh, fourth round of the FA Cup and he was drawing the away teams. So I'm thinking, come on, Gary, someone good. So the, the, the home team is drawn out. Tottenham Hotspur, uh, home two. Gary goes in and he's looking. I'm thinking, come on, Eastley Town, make <laughs> it Maidstone. We'll play Manchester City. And uh. like, there was there was always uh. rumours back in the day that 
sometimes there was a ball that was colder than the other one. So they made sure okay. that certain teams... But that was all conjecture and rumour, but Gary pulled out Manchester City. Although Manchester City <laughs> will not be happy about it because they've not scored a goal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yet mm. in five visits. Right. So it will be... Oh, you might be all right, It, it may be. It, it should be. It should be a heck mm. of a game. Manchester United are in as well. Um, they played the last game of the third round, although there are replays around, and they managed to beat Wigan 2-0 mm. last um, right. uh, should we end another death, sadly, but in rugby, um, a bit of a rugby legend, uh, British and Irish Lions as well, played for, for Wales, uh, John Peter Rhys-Williams. Yeah, JPR, yeah, mm. always known as JPR. He, mm. he, was, he, was, he was known as John Williams when he first started playing for Wales, but... As you can imagine, there's quite a few John Williams that yeah, actually yeah, played yeah, for Wales. Yeah. There was one or two. So there was JJ that played, and so he was known as, as JPR, uh, well-known, and, and always from the pictures you would see there, and I think we can see the, the legendary sideburns that he kept yeah. right yeah. up to his death. Did he? Um, very, oh, there they are. There he is in his latter years. Um, very clever man as well, not only a great rugby player, but also an orthopaedic surgeon, and he used to say that he spent half of his life uh, breaking bones and then the other <laughs> half putting them back together. Quite oh, useful to have him it. on the team. He was very it, useful what, to have on the team. <laughs> he won three, it really five, is no age. No ne, age at all. Yeah, won three Six Nations Grand Slams. It must should read there. Yeah, um, yeah truly one of the absolute greats. So, so we've got France back about and JPR Williams. And for those that grew up watching sport in the 70s, yeah. two icons of sport. It's very it's sad. Shame, isn't it? Uh, Paul, thanks very much indeed. See you later sure, on. on a downer, I feel, oh, recently. Well, let's celebrate them. I'd yeah, rather be. That's a good way to do it. Uh, coming up for you, uh, apparently bottles of water, plastic bottles, contain a quarter of a million bits of plastic. We'll tell you more in Headline Makers. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Wake up to the headlines with Headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. Sir, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's News Channel.
Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7pm. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. mental? Pretty mouth. OK, here comes, a, <laughs> here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? Oh, Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. Six thirty-eight morning to you. Time for the newspaper front pages this morning. The Times, one of many to lead with the ongoing post office scandal. At the Daily Mail, focusing on Paula Vernells, uh, still retaining her CBE. They say shameless. Uh, the Telegraph has Channel 4 protesting against the appointment of four white directors to its board. Uh, here's The Guardian. It's leading with the government's urgent efforts to exonerate those falsely accused in the post office scandal. The Eye has uh, Fujitsu, a firm involved in the scandal, getting a major UK government contract. You couldn't make it up. Uh, joining us to go through some of the day's headlines today is the former government minister, Norman Baker, and deputy editor of Spiked, Fraser Myers. Um, welcome to both of you. And it feels fitting, Norman, to start with you. Yeah. Uh, on this post office story, you were also uh, working in government at the period that Sir Ed Davey is now feeling a bit of heat. I know that The Eye is reporting this morning that the, the Tories have weaponised the Lib Dems' involvement in all of this. What's your view? Well, I mean, yes, I was in government at the time, but happily in the transport department, <laughs> uh, nowhere near the post office. Um, look, I mean, this is, this is a, a shocking story all over, but the fact of the matter is it's been running for... Uh, it's now become properly uh, central news, thanks to ITV and a documentary. But, you know, you could have read about... ..every couple of weeks in prime Mm. For the last ten years. Norman, we're having problems with your microphone. We're going to just remedy that and come straight back to oh, you. Oh, 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 yeah, <laughs> dear, dear that, how convenient, Norman. <laughs> yeah, we shall exactly. grill you a bit more in a moment. Um, uh, Fraser, what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I mean, as, as Norman was suggesting, I mean, it is extraordinary that it has taken uh, an ITV primetime show to bring this to the public's attention in this way. I mean, it's been reported on for years, but. It has never really been front-page news, and it certainly hasn't gone on for weeks no. and weeks in this way. And it's never, you know, finally, we're, Ed Davey has questions to answer about his government role. The Telegraph are pointing the finger at Sir Keir Starmer, and uh, Nigel Farage was pointing the finger at Sir Keir Starmer last night on, on GB News because he was director of Pros public prosecutions at the time that a lot of this was going on. It really um, envelops a lot of the establishment, um, but it also is, you know, it's, it's such a serious miscarriage of justice, that it is amazing that it's taken so long for it to really surface or to really, you know, for the government to finally say this week that uh, they're going to fast-track the appeals, that they're going to overturn some of the convictions. I think I mean, only 90, 93 convictions 93 out, of, out, of 700. out of 700 have been overturned. But they do say um, three-quarters or two-thirds of, of people have been fully and finally compensated. Mm. But still, if those convictions are sitting there, that's a problem. If you still have that black mark against your name, against your, your reputation, I mean, that's just horrific for, for those yeah. people um, who've done nothing wrong. Norman, we are... Normal <laughs> service is resumed. And what were you saying at the beginning, then? I, I, was, I was saying, first of all, the extraordinary has not come to the fore before now, and it takes an ITV documentary to, to put it in the public domain, when others have been reporting it for... I mean, for... we've been reporting it, to be fair, yes, for years. But, but it's, it's not really taken captures, off, has it? Well, it's captured off, the public's no. imagination, I think, and sometimes it takes... 
a, a national outcry yeah. for things to change. I, I would say it's been like a, a fire that smoulders and suddenly someone's put some fuel on it and yeah. it's, it's blowing up. Yeah, yeah. And so it should do. But I mean, no, look, no one comes out of this with any credit, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been going on for decades, no one's done very much about it. Uh, it is being weaponized to attack Ed Davey and attack, and I hear Nigel Farage attacking Keir Starmer. Is that not a legitimate question if the director of pros public prosecutions was in? That position, whilst these prosecutions were coming through. Well, there were private prosecutions, as I understand, and not yes, public but prosecutions. Yes, he could have taken them over. He could have intervened. He, he does have the power. He does have the power, but I mean, he has a power on a whole range of stuff, and there are private prosecutions of everything under the sun. I think so. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to to lay that one on. To be perfectly honest with you, I think there are very serious questions to ask about Ed Davey, frankly, as a as a leader in all of this, because. All right, he said, well, I was misled by the post office. Right? Now, that may be valid. That may be valid. But what he's not done is apologise. He hasn't had the decency to apologise and say, well, I should have looked mm. into this further. I should, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry this has gone on. It's one thing to come up with a defence, mm. but where's the apology? Well, it depends what he has to apologise for, in a sense. I mean, he has... He said, I, I don't know the, the facts of this, Stephen, to be honest with you, but, I mean, he says, and this is a statement, that he asked officials, he asked the post office, he asked all the right questions. Well, if you ask officials and you get an answer, you can't then say, I don't believe you, and go somewhere no, no, else. No. And, therefore, the issue is whether you was led to on industrial scale, I think it's his phrase. It's an extraordinary claim, mm -hmm. and he'll have to back it up. But if he was let, misled on, on industrial scale, then, then in a way it's difficult to know what, and, what to do about and it. And just before we move on from the story, the, the other strand in all of this is Fujitsu getting mm. another government contract simultaneously that this <laughs> national outcry is, is breaking. Yeah. Uh, and this time, <laughs> you couldn't write it in relation to flooding and flood warnings, just as half the country's underwater. I think it just sort of goes to show that there, you know, there's no justice, it seems, for the ordinary person, and yet for, you know, whether it's big companies or big business bosses, you know, people are talking about the head of the post office. Um, will she even have her CBE stripped off her? We, who knows? Uh, well, you know, she's still going to retire well? to a gold-plated pension well, exactly. and all of these things. Um, it, it, it just, yeah, the, the injustice of it just sort of... Makes that, that's exactly right. And I have to say on the CBE issue, mm. yes, they can look at that, and I think there's a very good case for taking that away, quite frankly, Paula Venels. But, of course, what you cannot do, and this is the inconsistency, you cannot take away a peerage. So Barbara Moen has been impl implicated in a huge uh, ex uh, collating of money for herself from the PPE contracts. You can't take away a peerage. You can take away a CBE. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, interesting point. Um, Fraser, because we tease this, have a look at this in the Telegraph about bottled water. We all sort of know we shouldn't be drinking bottled water because of the single-use plastics, right? Which, whether you agree with that or not, I think it's a, you know, a valid thing to look at. Apparently, the water itself contains plastic. Yeah, so it's been known that there have been small particles of plastic in sort of any... I guess any drink that contains that's in a plastic container, but scientists have been looking um, at even tiny nanoparticles of plastic. Um, apparently, there are 240,000 detectable shards in in each um, sort of bottled water. But I mean, these things are so small; they're one in two. Th 25 thousandths of an inch. I can't even say the word, how, how, how tiny it is. Nanoparticle. Yeah, so, and the fact that they need, you know, special equipment to detect it suggests that um, it's probably not wreaking havoc with our health or anything well, like that. Well, you know, that's that. right. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite, because that means it's easily digestible yeah. into yeah. our system. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, I wouldn't... There's no evidence um, that it has health implications or anything like that, but it is... I mean, it's certainly interesting. I mean, I'm fascinated by just the smallness of it. You know, there's so many exciting things when we get to this level of uh, microscopic 
um, well, yeah, particles. you only have to look at what's in blood. You can't see it, but it's got everything. White blood Absolutely. cells, red blood cells, every, every evidence of any disease is carried in there. So, mm. you know, it doesn't have to be visible to the eye to be able to have an impact on your health. Stephen, your point is right, actually. The smaller the particle, potentially, the more dangerous mm. it is. And this is the case with air pollution, PM 2.5s, which are these air pollution particles that come out the back of cars and, and vans. And they're actually more dangerous than PM 10s, which is the one that um, originally was a concern of scientists but you know the thing about I, I don't trust uh, food out of plastic I don't because of the migration potential and if you buy a new kettle and it's a plastic kettle you can taste the plastic on the, when you first use it whereas you don't do if you buy a metal kettle which is what I've got at home and I wouldn't buy bottled water anyway for environmental reasons yeah. but if I did buy it I'd buy it in glass bottles yeah okay yeah. fair point and we're gonna just leave you two for a moment as we check on the headlines at 646 um, yes, here we go. We'll start with this top story. This one of the government scrambling to draw up plans to clear the names of hundreds of post office branch managers wrongly convicted of theft and fraud. The Prime Minister would strongly support the Honours Committee if it chose to look into revoking the CBE of former post office boss Paula Vennells. And Britain blasted by snow and ice as the Met Office warns of temperatures plunging to as low as minus nine degrees Celsius. Forecasters say the cold snap will be felt the hardest in the southeast. And insurers say the number of pothole-related claims has gone up by 40%. So why aren't our roads being properly repaired? Uh, we're going through the headlines of the day uh, with Norman and with Fraser this morning. Norman, should we talk about Esther Ranson? Um, yes. Incredibly, whether you agree with what she's doing or not, it's a brave thing to do for somebody who's got terminal stage four lung cancer. Um, she's lost her husband already. She spent her whole life campaigning for other people. Um, I'm filled with admiration for her. I'm not sure I, where I sit on what she's trying to do. Um, but what's the latest in all of this? Well, the Daily Express has launched a petition uh, in support of her call for a free vote in, in the Commons on assisted dying. Uh, it's got 9,000 people so far, which doesn't seem very many, actually, but I'm no doubt the petition will gain further signatures. I think Esther Ranson is both brave, you're right, but she's also right to say it's about time for a discussion in Parliament about these matters. Mm. These matters are not political. They're not uh, party political. Uh, people are given free votes across the parties on these issues, as they should be. And I think it's time for a discussion to, to take place, because on the one hand, you've got people who are opposed to, the, to this, who say it's open to abuse and you'll end up with people being effectively ended their life unnecessarily early because of collusion by doctors or whatever. On the other hand, you've got people saying, well, you know, you come to a natural end um, and you should be allowed to die and what the NHS is good at is keeping people alive indefinitely mm. for very little purpose and that doesn't help people when they, they, no. they, want, to, well, they want to give up their, their lives. I mean, it, it is, this is why it gets complex, though, isn't it, Fraser? Because although a lot of people... I mean, I... I I would, in essence, support something like this, the sort of freedom to choose when you go. But it is those safeguards which, yeah. are, which are complicated to come up with and compl complicated to implement. And, and I think we've seen in places like Canada where they have uh, legalised assisted dying and uh, euthanasia. I mean, they probably have the most liberal regime in, in the world in terms of this. There have been some really very dark oh, really? cases. I mean, there were, people have been encouraged to take up medical assistance mm. in dying for you know having bad circumstances for being homeless for you know being disabled there was <coughs> there was a paralympian in canada who tried to get a stairlift uh, installed in her house 
And the government said to her, well, we can't help you with that, but have you tried medical assistance in dying? What? So <laughs> in, in the short space of just a couple of years, mm -hmm. uh, sort of... I guess it's the sort of normalisation of suicide, really. I mean, it's quite, yeah. it's quite well, a I mean, thing. I'm not saying that would happen in the would... UK, because there are many other countries yeah. where, that have legalised euthanasia, and it hasn't gone down this route. But there are, you know, these things really need to be taken into account. I think a starting today. point would be not to offer it to anyone. If somebody comes asking for it, that's mm. a distinction. But mm. to say to you, have you thought about this? <laughs> Especially <laughs> when they're not even talking about ending things. Yeah. I mean, that's just shocking. Um, but it does, you know, it's always the debate, the moral debate about the thin end yes. of the wedge, the slippery slope. Um, and, you know, humans ultimately are not necessarily always good people. So well, you have to aren't. protect against that. And um, but you also, vulnerable. But you've also got to give them the right to, I think, to, to take sensible decisions about their own future. Yeah. Uh, I feel quite strongly about this personally yeah. because my mother, um, when she was 87, had concluded that she had uh, had a good life. She was very happy. She'd seen her children get on, and she said, "I'm really tired. This is my natural end. I want to. I want to die." Um, and of course, there was no way for her to do that. So she actually bravely, I think, starved herself to death over a period of two weeks. Refused to eat and, and on the death certificate says starvation, but that was her way of dealing with it. Oh, Norman, oh. sorry. No, no, I mean, that's what she wanted to do. I mean, that's, she'd reached it, she was perfectly sane and happy and everything else. Just, that was what she concluded was the right thing to do at her oh, stage. Goodness it's that me. argument, I think, which is hard to get away from, is that we mm. treat animals better yes, in this that's respect. True. You know, if they're, in, if they're suffering or what have you. Uh, anyway, uh, can we have a look at um, this at Channel 4, just because it... Uh, I don't know what I think of this... Um, Fraser, Channel 4 has launched a protest against the appointment of... Well, the five directors have been appointed to the Channel 4 board, four of whom are white, and that's a problem, apparently. Uh, yeah, according to the boss of... The, or the chairman of Channel 4, Serene uh, Cheshire, the appointments are uh, put forward by Ofcom and then approved by uh, the UK government, because Channel 4 is this kind of weird hybrid of uh, public and private organisation, and the head of Channel 4 is not happy because it doesn't meet their... Uh, own diversity goals. Now, it's interesting, I was looking at some of these goals. They're actually looking for a sort of more diverse workforce than the UK is. So they want 20% of all staff to come from ethnic minority backgrounds. The actual figure in the broader population is about 18%. They want... isn't... But presumably, if the, we don't know who the fifth... Well, I haven't been told who the fifth person is. Is that person of an... A, a ethnic minority background. Yes. Uh, that is 20%. It, well, right? it is, yeah. Tom uh, Adeyula, a tech entrepreneur, um, he's, he launched a company called Metail, it's a startup. Um, so, you know, on, on that front, it does fit the diversity uh, uh, sort of quota. So I think often these complaints um, don't really have uh, much substance. Mm. They're more about a, a sort of vibe <laughs> than, a, yeah. than an actual, than anything to do with actual metrics. I mean, there's always the, the BBC is constantly, um, you know, you know, what's the word? What's the word? Um, you know, whipping itself for its lack of diversity, even though it is more diverse as a workforce than the country yes. at large. Mm. Okay. I, I'm uncomfortable about these quotas, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm a great believer in equal opportunity, and we don't have equal opportunity in this country. If you come from particular backgrounds, you have a less good education, you get less opportunity to, to get a good job, and that's wrong. We should sort that out. But uh, apart from that, we should appoint the best people for the job. Yeah. That's, that's simple as that. And if the best people for the job are ethnic minority, great. If they're, if they're white, that's also great. It doesn't really matter. So I, I think the danger of the quotas is you end up putting people in jobs who are there because of their 
skin colour or because of their sexual orientation or something else, rather than because they can do the job best. And, and, yeah. and then that organisation or company will suffer because you've not necessarily got the yes. best people running it. Um, so that's an interesting take in all of that. Yeah, definitely. I think people have confused <laughs> the imperative not to discriminate, which should be absolutely cracked down on if people are discriminating on racial grounds, things like that, versus, you know, almost positive discrimination or affirmative action where you're putting, you know, you're... It's essentially a kind of reverse discrimination, which is really not helpful. Yeah, which and what I find interesting about all of this, Norman, is the fact that in most places you can't even talk about, you can't even have this discussion, really, without being branded as being mm. biased or racist or mm. anything else. It's, it's a very difficult discussion to have. Well, there's a lot of things in life which you're not allowed to talk about these days or not have to be very careful to dance around and, and not use the wrong language. And, of course, I'm, I'm in favour of making sure we don't clod-hop into something which offends people. Mm. But, on the other hand, you can't have a situation where, you, where you're prevented from giving your free views, and that's mm. actually what the station's about here. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the reality is that uh, some of your listeners and viewers will no doubt agree with what we said, and some won't, but that's just the way it is. That's, well, that's sometimes life. the world's gone a little bit mad. wonder if that provokes rage in you or not. Uh, we've only got 45 seconds or so to go. Uh, but <laughs> Stephen picked this story out this morning because... Apparently, women in particular have mm. been building stress-busting rooms where they go in and smash everything up. Now, I'm aware I'm the only female on this panel. Um, I but bet you've done it. I've never been into a room and smashed everything up. What do we think about the, the rise of rage? Do people not just, you know, shout at each other or something? Do people just have to bottle it in? Can they not...? Well, this have, is you know, the opposite. This is letting it all out. But it's letting it, be letting healthy it out on an, it, in on a violent animal, way. In a violent way, on inanimate <laughs> objects. Can't they have... If they're enraged their partner, can't they have a conversation? I, I, should, I should confess, I once bought my... my uh, my wife a punch bag which hung up in the basement. Really? She's going to go and take her bludgeons out on that. Yeah. Really? How <laughs> you, fascinating. Did she use it? Uh, yes, a bit. Mm. Fortunately. Did you ever use it? No, I didn't. It was no. just for her. So you, you've proved that this See, is. I don't know. I'm not the, I mean, the argument is that men have got football and boxing and things okay. to get it, which a lot of women do anyway. And but... darts, apparently, that doesn't oh, count. Yeah. No, darts doesn't count. There's a no. whole other debate. <laughs> yes. It's, it, it's an interesting one. I don't, have, I don't get rage like that, but anyway. Um, Norman, Fraser, thank you both very much okay. indeed. Be good to see you this morning. Let's go and check on the weather for you today with Aidan. A brighter outlook with Bob Solar, sponsors of weather on GB News. Hello, very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray 4th. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be, minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost-free for the North Sea coast, 
here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the Southern Uplands, otherwise rain at lower level, and feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK. For Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells. Widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. A brighter outlook with Bob Solar. Sponsors of weather on GB News. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News. Britain's news channel. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Carson, this Saturday night showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians, and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday night showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. GB News, unlike other broadcasters, isn't obsessed with the London-Westminster bubble. We think there's a nation beyond the M25, and that's why we talk about the issues that matter across the land. Join me on State of the Nation, 8 to 9 o'clock, Monday to Thursday, on GB News. Daisy's listening, and you should too. Your weekend starts here, with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens. With our team of dedicated journalists across the UK, we're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Wake up to the headlines with headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. A very good morning to you. It's fast approaching 7 o'clock on the 9th of January. You are tuned in to Breakfast with Isabel Webster and Stephen Dixon. Well, here's what's leading the news for you this morning. And the government's scrambling to draw plans to clear the names of hundreds of post office branch managers wrongly convicted of theft and fraud. That's as the Prime Minister says he would strongly support the Honours Committee if it chooses to look into revoking the CBE of the former post office boss, Paula Venels. Our political reporter, Catherine Forster, has more. Yes, over a million people have now signed the petition calling for her to have her CBE revoked. The government looking potentially at urgent legislation too to quash the hundreds of wrongful convictions of these sub-postmasters and also how quickly they can continue to, to compensate the one-third of postmasters that haven't had compensation yet and who should be footing the bill. I'll bring you more shortly. 
Britain is blasted by snow and ice as the Met Office warns of temperatures plunging to minus nine. Forecasters say the cold snap will be hardest in the southeast. And all through the programme, we'll have updates on your forecast from Aidan McGiven. There was a small amount of snow in places yesterday, and with a cold start again today, will there be any more of the white stuff? I'll have the full forecast coming up soon. Coming up for you, have we gone tipping mad? Multi-millionaire Rod Stewart gave hotel staff a £10,000 tip. Well, I mean, he's got more money than most, <laughs> but it's the culture of tipping getting out of control. And Paul Coit's here with all your sport. Yes, is the answer to that question, by the way. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fourth round of the FA Cup draw has been made. We'll pay tribute to two sporting legends of the 70s, Franz Beckenbauer and JPR Williams. And Tiger Woods is looking for a new sponsor, if you're interested. Well, 500 million for Nike. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad, is it? Uh, uh, ooh, no, thanks. No, no? <laughs> OK, fine. Uh, just after half seven this morning, we're discussing the big stories making headlines with Norman Baker and Fraser Myers, including what the term Boris Bolt means. They'll be telling us. And keep your emails coming in. Lots of you getting in touch this morning. GBviews at gbviews.com. Uh, plenty of thoughts so far on potholes, as we predicted, and indeed on the snow. Why are the Met Office nannying people, uh, says John this morning. It's winter, it gets cold. Very cold, though, I would say, John. <laughs> It gets very complicated with potholes. Yeah. Actually. Um, Steve from Liverpool. Hi, Steve. Says, I live in a new build estate um, and the roads and pathways are full of oh, potholes. And it's sort of like about two years old. The developers in this country have no legal requirement to complete the roads on a new estate, but the council won't adopt the roads until the work is done. Mm. Well, that's a loophole that needs closing, isn't it? Mm. Um, Jim, many councils look like they've spent all their budgets on installing miles of cycle lanes. have to say, though, potholes are also a problem for cyclists. Uh, they've also been widening footpaths, closing off roads, bus gates, etc. Instead of repairing the roads for drivers, in Leeds we have miles of cycle lanes that go unused. Uh, and a quick one from Robert, who's in Edinburgh at the moment, but lives in Switzerland... Um, and they prevent potholes by using fast-drying tarmac machines on small cracks. They do it about September. Stops the water getting in okay. and then freezing, which causes the potholes. Mm, the Swiss efficiency, got to love it. Well, there you always uh, need we to will... do that, be cheaper. Yeah, and you know what? They're on the rise. It was a record year last year for potholes. After this big flood, followed by the big freeze, uh, they're going to only get worse, particularly this month. Um, so stay tuned for more on potholes this morning. Um, well, let's talk about the post office, should we? And government ministers are drawing up urgent plans to clear the names of more than 700 postmasters mm. wrongly convicted in what's being described as the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. Well, Post Office Minister Kevin Hollenrake says he and the Justice Secretary Alex Chalk are looking to speed up overturning the remaining cases. Yet, yeah, believe it or not, just 93 of the wrongful convictions have been quashed so far... Four people have taken their own lives and, of course, hundreds of others' lives have been ruined. Well, MPs and members of the public have asked whether it should have taken an ITV drama to bring the Horizon post office scandal into greater focus. And our reporter, Theo Jacumba, has this report. 
The computer system post office spent an arm and a leg on is faulty. It's been described as one of the worst miscarriages of justice. More than 700 postmasters were accused of fraud over a faulty system. For decades, victims of the Post Office Horizon scandal have been fighting to have their wrongful convictions overturned. Less than 100 have been successful. Well, I've lost everything which I looked at uh, for my whole family, the buildings, uh, the whole building plus my house. Uh, reputation in the area which I've lived for 50 years. Uh, haven't been down, had to move out of the area to try and avoid seeing these people who I've known for so many years. Between 1999 and 2015, the post office spent millions prosecuting 736 sub-postmasters based on information from a computer system called Horizon. Some went to prison following convictions for false accounting and theft, leaving many financially ruined castigated by their communities and some took their lives. Questions are now being asked about how the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey, handled the scandal when he was a minister in the coalition government. Between 2010 and 2012, as the Postal Affairs Minister, Ed Davey was accused of refusing to meet Alan Bates, the sub-postmaster who campaigned to expose the scandal, which he denies. He says he was misled by the post office executives. I wish I'd known then what we all know now. The post office was lying on an industrial scale to me and other ministers. And when I met uh, Alan Bates and listened to his concerns, I put those concerns to officials in my department, to the post office, to the National Federation of Postmasters. And it's clear they all were lying to me. Treasury Minister Bim Afalami says the government is taking this seriously, despite criticism over how long it's taking. It's not fair that it's taken the TV drama. As I said, we brought forward the post office compensation bill several months ago in order to bring this forward. We've already paid out interim payments for compensation, so we have already been working to deal with this in this government. But we know that not everything is done yet, and we'll, we will not rest until every single person wrongly treated in this has justice. Meanwhile, lawyer Nick Freeman says legal action needs to be taken quickly. All the names need to be pulled together. They need to go before the Court of Appeal, even if they don't want to, and have those convictions just overturned. It would need an emergency legislation to deal with that. There are MPs who have done a sterling job in bringing this to the public and fighting for these sub-postmasters. Um, but was there anyone in the government who actually um, tried not to assist, tried to get in the way? I don't believe there was. Despite the scandal having been public knowledge for some time, the ITV drama has thrust it back into the limelight as pressure mounts on the politicians to be held accountable and accelerate the process to overturn the convictions of hundreds of postmasters. Theo Chikomba, GB News. Well, it's gripped everyone's imagination. It has. That's true, following that drama. Well, as you saw, there are growing calls to revoke the CBE of former post office boss Paula Vennels. Yes, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he would also strongly support the Honours Committee if it considers uh, stripping her of her honour. Well, we've been asking for your views. This is what you said. I should take it off her. Because it was not anybody else's fault by theirs. So, fair comment.
why, not why let other people suffer. Take it away and should be prosecuted, definitely. They were covering up and they knew them people had lost their businesses, killed, so whatever. It's basically down to them. So I think they should be prosecuted and paid for what they've done. Well, I think she should, yeah, yeah. The scandal's happened, yeah, I think so. I think she should take it off her and... I think she should not have had it, basically. She caused more problems than she, like, resolved any, and she ruined people's lives, but, so she should not keep that CBE. I think it should be taken away from her because people shouldn't be treated like that, I don't think. OK, well, that is uh, the row around the honours. What about the involvement of politicians in all of this? The Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davies, has been under fire for not doing enough to help the wrongfully convicted postmasters when he was in office as Postal Affairs Minister between 2010 and 2012. He's claimed he was deeply misled. Yeah, but last night, Nigel Farage raised a good point on GB News. What about Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer? After all, during a lot of that time, he was Director of Public Prosecutions. The Director of Public Prosecutions, the DPP, which Starmer did, I repeat, from 2008 until 2013, has power under Section 6.2 of the Act to take over private prosecutions. So, actually, Starmer had the power to take over these prosecutions or, indeed, to say enough. And it's impossible to believe, given the hundreds of prosecutions that were happening, given the media uh, commentary that was taking place at the time, that he wasn't aware of it. Uh, well, let's bring in our political correspondent, Catherine Forster, for all the latest in all of this. Look, serious questions then for both leaders of the Labour Party and the Lib Dems. Um, what are the options available, though, to the government in dealing with this? Because there's also questions about the role uh, of an administration overturning the positions of the court, because that in itself is, is a dangerous precedent as well. And then, of course, the role of Fujitsu in all of this, getting another government contract. There's so much to this story. Yes, there's a, there's a lot going on, isn't there? And that's partly why, I suppose, we're in this position all these years later that um, hundreds of people wrongfully convicted still have those convictions. Hundreds of people haven't been properly compensated. Um, so three things, really. First of all, um, the CBE that was given to the post office boss, Paula Vanells, um, that it's not up to the government to... Um, remove that. She might decide to voluntarily give it up. But um, the Prime Minister has made it clear that he believes that the Honours Forfeiture Committee, who can remove it, should look into this. And the Prime Minister has said that um, he shares the public's feelings of outrage about this whole huge miscarriage of justice. Then there is the very, very pressing issue of the hundreds of wrongful convictions still standing. Only 93 out of over 700 sub-postmasters have actually officially been cleared. Now, um, the government post office minister meeting the Justice Secretary yesterday, big debate in Parliament, they're looking at bringing in uh, legislation, bringing in a bill effectively in Parliament, which would then enable the courts to overturn all these hundreds of convictions on 
maths because of course these are issues dating back beginning in 1999 when this um, faulty software was first installed and people were being convicted right up until 2015 now the government has known for years these were wrongful convictions so it does sound like they are now finally going to act at pace to get those quashed and then the third issue that of course of compensation. The government's saying many people have already received compensation, but there is a lot, of course, still outstanding. And the thorny issue of who should pay. Now, the post office is publicly owned by the government, so effectively the taxpayer, i.e. us. But the Horizon system was made by Fujitsu, this big private company that had many government contracts still being awarded them, surely given the issue was with their equipment, uh, many people might think that they should be footing the bill. So let's see what happens now. But certainly there is an urgency about this, which has previously been missing. There's plenty of MPs been working on this for many years. There's been a lot of coverage in the media, hundreds of pieces in the paper, TV investigations, but nothing has galvanised public opinion and also, of course, in an election year, um, government uh, discussions and involvement like this ITV drama. Mm. OK, Catherine, thanks very much indeed. All right, at 14 minutes past seven, let's have a look at the weather, should we? Because more snow flurries expected across England today as the Met Office issues an amber cold health alert for several regions until lunchtime on Friday. Mm, well, the weather journalist Nathan Rao is here with us in the studio. And, Nathan, it feels as though this is just the start of it. Yes, it is. Minus eight last night in Alt-Nahara. That is low, and this is the start of a new regime of weather we're going into. We are finally feeling winter bite. Um, you're right, there is a UK Health Security Agency health alert that has been upped to amber. So what's the difference between yellow and amber? So yellow is a warning for cold weather that will affect people with existing health conditions and um, the elderly usually and, and limited regions of the health and emergency services. When they up it to amber, it means it is going to affect affect the population at large, the general population, and wider aspects, regions of the emergency services, the health services. So they have upped this UK Health Security Agency alert to amber across quite a large swathe of the country until Friday, because, as you said, yes, we are now going to start getting very, very cold. The Met Office is predicting minus nine in rural Scotland. I imagine you can take a couple of degrees off that, um, certainly with the wind chill, certainly freezing or below across the country. And then from this weekend, another change, because with a shift in synoptic patterns, uh, we could be looking at snow. We haven't had a lot of snow this year, but it could be snow from this weekend. So, uh, Sorry, a shift in what patterns? Synoptic patterns. It's a, it's a posh way of saying looking at the weather and what the weather oh, charts are. No, no, that's interesting to know, though. Um, but we've had some snow, but what you're talking about, snow that's going to stick yeah, and stay. Yeah, what we had yesterday was a flurry of snow. Oh, and okay. I, I had a look at this snow yesterday, and it was granular, and I had a look at that and thought, oh, that's easterly snow, that's snow that's blown in, as opposed to the big, fluffy, chunky snow that you get. Now, from this weekend, the high pressure that's bringing the cold weather over the UK at the moment, these very, very low temperatures, is going to shift, and we're getting an influence of low pressure 
pressure and that's going to bring in something something maybe a bit more moist and that could bring that big fluffy snow that we get that sometimes can settle but certainly the Met Office warning from the weekend onwards is when we're looking at the possibility of snow but really from now onwards it is cold okay you, I, I've just got this image of you now Nathan have you going outside I don't know, I don't <laughs> going outside catching a little bit of snow <laughs> Is that granular? That's no, easterly. That, that's, <laughs> from the east. that's from the east. I, I was actually sitting in my office and looked at the windows and I said, I'll just have a look at those snow grains. And they were tiny little granular grains. Now, it is actually very interesting, Stephen, because oh. during the big beast from the east in 2018, that snow blew in from Siberia and it was very granular, grainy snow that settled and settled fast. And it's different from the sort of snow that is caused when moist air comes in, mm. bumps against cold air over the UK and you get that big fluffy, slushy type of yeah. snow. Yeah. So there is a difference and yeah. it is worth noting. Okay. <laughs> I'm a snow nerd as well. I was also curtain twitching last night to see if it settled, well, but really? mainly because the kids are like, Mummy, can we go tobogganing? And I was like, I don't think there's any snow. Lots of people find it exciting, but of course it comes Absolutely. Course, I'd be interested actually if there's the any meteorologists watching who are going to correct me on what I've just said. But I think I'm right. I'm thinking saying the We're going to back you, Nathan. Good, good, good. Right. It sounds good and I like it. Excellent. Good to see you this morning. <laughs> you too. Uh, well, the icy blast, of course, comes in the wake of Storm Henk, which left many areas flooded, leaving many people unable to return to their homes. Well, joining us now is civil engineer and flood specialist Simon Crowther. Good morning, good to see you. Um, look, these floods, I mean, we were affected near where we live. Um, houses were, were flooded as well. A lot of the water where I am has receded, but that's not the case everywhere. People are still dealing with this at the moment. Yeah, people are still dealing with it. There's still flood warnings and flood alerts out, but I think what's key to focus on at the minute is actually, although the bulk of the weather has gone, could you imagine anything worse than being in your home that's been destroyed by flood water all of a sudden to be hit by this cold snap? You might have no gas, no electric, no way of putting the heating on, no way of drying that place out, and then suddenly the temperatures plummet. It's going to be absolutely terrible. There's never a good time to flood, but winter floods can be one of the worst. What we're told time and time again when this happens is, well, we're going to look at ways to prevent it. Mm. Um, I, I mean, w what are the options on the table? Because I tell you what people always message in about, Simon, and that's dredging. <laughs> so dredging won't help with large-scale flooding like this. It can actually make it slightly worse. Um, there's a whole jigsaw of flood mitigation measures we have to look at. And actually, because the climate is changing so much, simply building higher and higher concrete walls and flood defences isn't going to work. And actually, a lot of the defences we've got will be overtopped in the next few years as the climate changes. But that doesn't mean they've failed. That means the storm was worse than the design criteria of that equipment. What we need to be looking at is more natural flood management as well. So actually, how can we hold water in the catchment to reduce it from getting to the river so quickly? What we've seen in Nottinghamshire, where there was a major incident declared, was actually the River Trent flooding, but because a lot of the catchments have suffered their own flooding, where water had run off the hillside quickly, impacted the areas, and then flown into the Trent. And these are communities that have been campaigning for years for government support to actually implement things like natural flood management slow the flow so that actually it wouldn't have even reached the river potentially by that point would have also protected that community but they're just not getting the help that they need and i think this is a case across the country one of the things that the government are looking at which is nice to see is they've issued a five thousand pound grant to um, homeowners but that grant hasn't increased in the last 10 years it should be pegged to inflation by the time you've taken vat off that and paid for the survey, there's not really a lot left. So I do worry that that's sort of a sticking plaster from the government 
Mm, and she good. doesn't address any of the issues. We've lost so many trees as well in the last week or so with Storm mm. Hank. Nobody talking about replanting those. And, of course, that all contributes, doesn't it? We've had five named storms, I think, this season, which is Seven, sort of above, right? above average. Oh, eight. There we go. Eight named storms. Are we replacing all the trees we're losing? Because, of course, that then contributes to flooding as well. Uh, we have to leave it there. Simon Crowther, lovely to see you. Thanks very much for your expertise this morning. Oh, poor fella. You posed him a question. Well, then, I was just to posing, it. Posed, well, it was a rhetorical question. It wasn't really an answer. I don't think we are replanting the trees that we've seen come down, sadly. Well, we do need to. There's mm. meant to be a big project on the way. Didn't Prince Charles launch it? Yeah, for his About first planting year a million or something. trees yeah, or something. Good for King. That needs to be done. Uh, let's have a look at some of the stories. Heading into the newsroom at 20 past seven this morning. The allegation that Jeffrey Epstein secretly filmed his influential friends, including Sir Richard Branson, having sex with young women, has been dismissed by the Virgin Boss as baseless and unfounded. The claim was made by Sarah Ransom, one of Epstein's unverified victims, who, in newly unsealed court documents from the US, said she'd seen the sex tapes herself and was ready to testify in court. Well, a Virgin Group spokesperson has said that Ransom has admitted herself that she invented the tapes in a New Yorker report published in 2019. The former US presidents, Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, as well as Prince Andrew, have also been named and also deny all allegations made against them. Channel 4 has been criticised... Uh, well, it's criticised a decision by the media regulator Ofcom to appoint four white directors to the broadcaster's board. Lucy Fraser, the culture secretary, approved the roles of five new non-executive directors, four of whom are white. This sparked criticism from the broadcaster's chairman, who said the appointments, appointments were lagging behind the channel's own diversity targets. Uh, in other news, France's Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne has resigned after two years in the role. It comes ahead of an expected reshuffle by the French President Emmanuel Macron. It's not yet known who will be appointed as her successor. On the post office thing, mm. uh, and we're asking questions about Ed Davey. Mm -hmm. now, uh, I mean, heck, I mean, I, I sort of thought, I think, he, did he ask the right questions? Did he meet um, the people he should have met at the time? He says he was misled by the post office. Mm. Um, but he hasn't apologised, which I sort of think is important. Um, Tony from uh, Howarden... Howarden? So, no, I don't know, I think I have to Google that, Tony. Mm. Uh, says, I believe Ed Davies should also stand down and lose his, lose his knighthood as he's been so vociferous in suggesting others should stand down for lesser offences. Um, well, that's not a, not a bad point. You know, you've got to you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yeah, well, Richard uh, from Ramsey, he's got in touch this morning. I did not... Sorry, did not believe Boris when he said he was misled by AIDS. Why should we believe him now, even after ignoring three letters? Hypocrites should take his own advice and resign. So I think uh, suggestion there that Sir Ed Davies should hand back uh, his honour as well. Mm. Mm. Um, Wardens in North Wales. There we go. I'm just looking. Lovely We're part of the world. Close Beautiful. to the world. Very nice. I've got, um, I've got family in there. Um, so have I. Yeah, there. Through marriage. Who? Me? No, me. Oh, you? Yeah, North Wales, the Wrexham lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Where, well, yours actually related to you. Well, actually, blood relatives. There you go. Not that, not that there's any difference. No, we're all one family. Good morning go. to all our Welsh relatives. I was going to say, you've, you've just... Insulted them. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs>
Honestly, can't take her <laughs> no, anywhere. No, no, I love these um, bits. As you say, the, the weather's been... Is the weather bad in Wales, Nathan? Yeah. 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 Oh. Very cold okay. in rural Wales this well, morning. Let's get a full update for you with Aidan McGivern. Hello, a very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray Forth. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be. Minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost-free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the Southern Uplands, otherwise rain at lower level, and feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK, for Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells, widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. Now, have we gone tipping mad? Are we turning a bit American? We'll be debating that next. Join us every night on GB News at 11pm for Headliners, which is three top comedians going through the next day's news stories, which is exactly what you need, because when the establishment has gone crazy, you need some craziness to make sense of it. Headliners, you don't have to bother reading the newspaper. We've got it covered for you every night at 11pm and repeated every morning at 5am. We won't send you to sleep like some of the other paper review shows out there. So join us 11pm every night on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels, we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. So, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean, and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free.
Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News, Britain's news channel. Big news, big debate, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. GB News is Britain's news channel, and now you can support it. All you have to do is scan that QR code that's up on your screen right now, or you can go to gbnews.com forward slash support and become a GB News member. You'll have fantastic benefits. We're also going to organise special events where you as GB News members can meet the presenters, the on-screen faces, scan the QR code or go to gbnews.com slash support. Thank you so much. Welcome back. Now, the rock legend, Sir Rod Stewart, he's got deep pockets, to be fair, but he oh. recently tipped staff at a hotel a whopping £10,000 earlier this week. But is this just proof that the culture of tipping is going a little bit out of control in this country? I wonder what he actually spent to yes. justify a ten grand yeah. tip. Mm. <sighs> a lot, I'd, 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 I'd carry his bags for ten grand. <laughs> uh, latest research shows that just over half of Brits say they tip regularly when they go out to eat. But we are in a cost-of-living crisis. Can we be expected to fork out the extras? Let's discuss all of this this morning. Uh, we're joined uh, by the Managing Director of Churros Locos, André Montanou, and the Hello. budgeting influencer Euphemia Moore. Good morning to both of you. Um, André, to you, first of all, um, I suppose you would suggest, then, that we don't tip enough and we're not very Hello. generous. Ah. I think we have a problem with Andre's connection. Should we go to you, Euphemia, first of all? Um, you're you're anti-tipping. Tell us why, because a lot of people make their money from tips, don't they? They do. Um, I wouldn't say I'm fully anti-tipping. I just feel like the um, responsibility shouldn't be heavily weighted on the customer. I think that it is fair to tip if you can afford to do it, but the pressure shouldn't be naturally put on the customer. Um, if, if, if anything, I feel like we can end up going down the road where we become like the Americans, where the wages are notoriously low for people in the service industry. Therefore, the onus is put on the customer to bridge that gap, um, which isn't fair anyway. So um, I feel like there's a danger in it. I think it should be something that's voluntary rather than a demand. Um, we've already seen that service charges have been put on our bills automatically so it seems and um, there's no incentive for the service provider because they see that they get paid extra money for doing their basic job and there's also no incentive for the the customer to come back to that particular provider because they may not have be received a, a, a you know a good service from that customer so I, mean, to, um, I don't think it actually to be I was going to say Euphemia look when it is added on to the bill it still does say onto the bill that it's optional, 
So you can have it removed if you want to. I don't know oh, if anyone's got the nerve yeah. to do that, but at least it, it is still an option to do that. That's what I'm trying to say. I think because it is... I mean, I haven't had that fate, to be honest. I, I have had it added automatically. But even if that is the case, I think it is, again, the onus is put back onto the customer to feel um, a sense of guilt, I suppose, if they don't tip, you know. Um, I just think service industries need to do better. They need to pay their workers a fair wage and therefore tipping can be a option rather than a demand, you know. I bring Andre back into the discussion now. Andre, good morning. Good to see you. Just let us know you can hear us. Oh, we're not having much luck, so I'm going to... Oh, we can. Fantastic. Listen, I, I want to ask you, because it seems to me... Look, we, we all talk about the cost of living crisis. We all know we've got less cash in our pockets at the moment. But we're also seeing the cost of eating out more expensive than ever. And we're also probably, arguably, seeing worse service than ever before, because we know there are huge shortages in the service industry, um, in, in um, you know, lack of waiters or whatever else. So we've got less money, we're spending more, we're getting worse service. And yet, you think we should be tipping more? Um, what I want you to say is obviously running a business is very hard. Um, most of the wages that most of the costs of the business are, are in wages. So obviously it puts a lot of stress on the business. It puts a lot of stress on the employees as well. Um, obviously, if we're not performing OK, we have to cut down hours. We have to obviously uh, look at obviously in how many employees we have, you know, the shifts that we give. Um, at the end of the day, yes, I agree, it, should be, it, should, it shouldn't be mandatory, but in the economic of things, I think it helps uh, the business. It helps, obviously, maintain jobs. Uh, at the end of the day, the tips that they receive, obviously, they're going to go and use them into the economy as well. So it's going to, I think, all, all in all, it's, it's, it's a big win for, for everybody. But, um, but Andre, also, Andre... Um... The best way to actually... Can I ask you, Andre, does it, do you think tips encourage better service? Yes, I think it does, because at the end of the day, it's the quickest way to actually appreciate something. Uh, or so, 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 so someone that obviously that they're, they're being appreciated. Uh, you know, it's all good in leaving reviews and stuff like that, but obviously that that obviously shown on the business itself. Mm. But the best way to actually tell someone or help someone or encourage someone to say, oh, you know, you actually done a good job, is 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 to to leave a tip. Well, Euphemia, I just want to end uh, by asking you if maybe. <laughs> We're just not American, are we? At the end of the day, it's all quite embarrassing. You go to the hairdresser, you pay your hairdresser, you're looking oh. them eyeball to eyeball. Do you tip, don't you tip? It's so awkward. In America, it's understood. You do it, and if you don't, you can never step foot in that restaurant again. But as a British person, exactly. it's all a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I think credit where credit is due at the end of the day, if you perform outstandingly, you go over and above your, you know, your duties, your role, Fair enough, if you feel the need to pay that person something for that, great. But I just feel like the onus or the pressure shouldn't be put on the customer at the end of the day. You know, it is a cost of living crisis. We're all struggling. We're all trying to make ends meet. Um, businesses need to pay their workers fair wages. See you both this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Let us know what you think about that. GBviews at GBnews. I never tip at the hairdressers or nail bar. Anything. I do, but do you know, well, it's just I don't want to walk out the door and have them going. Mm, shouldn't tip. No, Awkward. never do it. That restaurants, I do tend to tip.
But it is deeply embarrassing. And if I also actually think good. it's a bit embarrassing to give a tip of a couple of quid. I feel that's humiliating. You know, it's just You've got also... to go for your... I tend to go 10%. Uh, yes. But even if it's 10% of whatever, you know, getting your nails done, it's just a couple of quid. But I feel embarrassing saying, here, get a couple of quid. I just don't oh, like it. But I would rather that, yeah. just deal with it on the, on the bill and not have to talk about it. But that's just me. Um, let's get the views, shall we? Paul Coit, do you like tipping? Oh, Big tip, was, are you and Rod? Well, you know what? I was in America last year and they were saying 20% at yeah. least. Yeah. And I've, there's stories of people that had not paid as much as 20%, still a fair tip, chased down the street. Yeah. It's yeah. just... And a friend of mine, he, go, he left his wallet at a restaurant and we drove back. And so all he'd done is just phone up and said, oh, yeah, that's no problem. He's gone in there, he's given the money because, you know, American, it's just expected. I'm like, mm. what are you doing? Throwing money away. Mm. Uh, I did once crazy. work. This is tennis related, You've but sports related. I did once See, work as a waitress here? in debentures at Wimbledon. Wimbledon yeah. Oh, the tips I got in there was good. Fifty quid. Tw you know, really? in debentures, they're all. You know, yeah. I don't know how much those seats cost, but it was all lobster and caviar. And there I was, a student doing a summer job. The tips were amazing. It made my summer. It was only two weeks, obviously, That's during great. Wimbledon. See, but it's it all was very amazing. well saying you know getting getting tips for good service, but the thing is, you should give service. your tip first. And then, then you'll you get, get the good, the good service. service. Uh, well, yeah. Because yeah. you're not going to go back there again, yeah. maybe. But yeah. anyway. Um, talking of money... Nike. Yeah. Tiger Woods. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. So this is 27 years that Tiger Woods has been sponsored by Nike. Is it really? Often it... called Nike, but Nike, who is the Greek god of victory, so that's the pronunciation. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's so many did people they, go Nike, it's Nike. Did they stick with him through girl. the Troubles, then? They did. Well, they did stick with him through the Troubles because... Really, he's made them so much money. He did very well out of it. So over 27 years of sponsorship Gosh. by Nike, 500 million pounds is the estimated figure. There's the, this, this is the goodbye ad. It was a hell of a round, Tiger. Yeah, so, I bet he tips. <laughs> I'll bet it will. You never know. It's often the richest ones Aww. that don't, isn't yeah. it? But, but anyway, huge amount of money. They say that, that Nike have made billions from Tiger Woods because people then see the way he dresses. I mean, I've played golf with fully grown men who think they're Tiger Woods <laughs> and on the and they'll wear the red shirt on the and just think, for goodness sake, there's that whole so, full kit thing. If it's but, been all so wonderful, why have they why are they splitting and doing it in such a nice way? Well well the thing is they are they've got a lot of money to make up. They've got right. two billion dollars they've got to try and make up um, due to a sales slump. Golf, as well, is something that they're moving away from. And also, Tiger is not the popular figure that he was. I mean, he's still trying to play golf, but certainly not at that standard. So it's been decided, look, you know, we still sponsor Rory McIlroy. He, he signed a deal for about £150 million. It's unbelievable yeah. amounts. But when you think, how could a professional sportsman be getting that sort of money? It's worth it to the company, because yeah. they will see Rory, they'll see Tiger, and think, well, yeah, I'd look good in those shoes. I'll play golf like him if I dress like him. So it actually has worked for both of them. So more so for Nike. Oh, there you go. Let's, a, let's have a quick look at uh, Man United, should we? And yep. Wigan Athletic. Yeah, we're going to ask. Who won on that one? Um, it was Manchester United. Oh, that's a surprise. I mean, you have surprise. to ask these days. Well, of course you do. You know, it, it was at Wigan, but 2013, they won the FA Cup. They had a terrible time last year. Looked like they were possibly going out of business. They were saved. Manchester United, not terribly convincing, but not really a surprise that they won. Would so they're through. And then the fourth round of the FA Cup. So the, the draw was made um, yesterday. So uh, a few of those, I'll, I'll get some of the ties. Maidstone, uh, who are the lowest ranked team, they're away at Ipswich town 
Not a bad draw. You kind of hope yeah. for them that they'd have a big... Very easy ride league. for Manchester City. Oh, goodness me. I mean... <laughs> Ah, only joking. Okay, only joking. City. Only you know joking. What? Man City won't be happy with it. We weren't happy with it when it came out, but did Gary Mabbott making the draw? Manchester City, Gary. Oh. Um, Eastley or Newport County play Manchester United. Liverpool at home to Norwich or Bristol Rovers. And Wrexham uh, will be at home to Black... Uh, actually, they're away to Blackburn Rovers. So that's... Okay. Lovely. Poiti, thank, thank you very you. much. Pleasure. Uh, stay with us still to come. Can anyone guess what a Boris Bolt might be? I feel like we teased that a little bit earlier and we never got to the bottom of it. Promise we will in the next section. Wake up to the headlines with Headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. I'm Andrew Doyle. Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7 p.m. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. Open your mouth. OK, here comes, a, here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? <laughs> Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Curse, on this Saturday Night Showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians, and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday Night Showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show. Every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News. Britain's news channel. GB News, unlike other broadcasters, isn't obsessed with the London-Westminster bubble. We think there's a nation beyond the M25, and that's why we talk about the issues that matter across the land. Join me on State of the Nation, 8 to 9 o'clock, Monday to Thursday, on GB News. Daisy's listening, and you should too. Every Sunday from 11, join Michael Portillo. There will be topical discussion, looking at the week before and the week to come. So kick back and relax at 11am on Sundays on GB News with me, Michael Portillo. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel.
When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Seven forty-four morning to you. Let's go through the day's headlines with former government minister Norman Baker and deputy editor of Spiked Fraser Myers. Good to see you both this morning. Good morning. Yeah, because we've been teasing it, Norman. What's a Boris Bolt? Oh, Boris Bolt. Well, this is. I've got to find the right piece in the in, in the, the paper here. Boris. Yeah, Boris Bolt. This is this is um, a, a revelation from Nick for, Nick Ferrari on LBC that when Boris was being interviewed, he, he used to move his chair out of the way if he had a difficult question and slip it out of the camera. Line, so he wouldn't have to face a difficult question. So they actually invented this Boris bolt to nail the, the chair to the floor. That's hilarious. So, so the chair couldn't be moved. In your mind, it was Bernie the bolt, actually, and that's Boris the bolt. Um, so that was a way of keeping him where he was and making sure he didn't avoid questions by slipping off screen. Mm, it's just very odd. <laughs> it's a radio show, oh. primarily. So why yeah, didn't but they, just... they get all the makeup and everything. The makeup artists were telling me they make up all the radio presenters these days. Yeah, and everything's shown on web and um, people watch yeah. things live on YouTube, or they, yeah. or they put out clips as well. Yeah. Yes, so yes, it's everywhere. We don't have bolts here, do we? We're all not yet. No, no. no. keep shifting. Though we're going to have to. <laughs> um, right, let's move on to a story for you, Fraser. And this is the supermarkets. Obviously, lots of people doing dry January. I say lots. Eight point five million of us. Eight point five million of us. Not you. <laughs> I am. Are you? Yeah, I'm doing dry January. I do it every January. Do you? Yeah. I'm really surprised. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, apparently we drink a third less uh, alcohol collectively as a nation. But the supermarkets are But the supermarkets in. are cashing in. So what they're doing is they're hiking up the cost of low alcohol and non-alcoholic drinks. So there are some, um, some drinks like uh, Erdinger and Waitrose, the non-alcohol version, that's gone up by like 75%. What? No. It's, it hikes of like it's 75%, 35%, you know, huge, huge oh, inflation-busting hikes. And they don't have the normal excuse because there's no alcohol duty on these no, drinks. No, no. Alcohol duty obviously goes up with every budget. And so, you know, um, it's particularly painful uh, this year uh, when it went up with inflation. But no, they don't have that excuse. So they're cashing in on dry January. Um, I mean, other companies are taking a different tack. Tim Martin of Weatherspoons is slashing prices to try and coax people into Weatherspoons during uh, during January. He's called uh, Dry January a cult. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's very brave of you to do it. I just think, isn't it the most difficult, you know, miserable no, month? I mean, to, it is miserable. But um, but I like it. I feel good for it every January. My dad was complaining. He said there is a time in the year to do Dry January. It's called Lent. <laughs> and he thinks I should give it up before Easter. But that's a way off. And I think after the excesses of Christmas, we all want to have a bit of a detox in the new year. Uh, yeah? New yeah, that makes Well, speak for yourself, I'm not having dry January. I think no dry January. You, have a, you start the year with a drink. I start, party, I start the year on January the 1st with a cocktail party, yeah. So uh, no dry January for me. Fair but also, if, you know, this business of uh, raking in profits for non-alcoholic drinks, I mean, which is outrageous, by the way. Mm. I mean, I don't know if I like low-alcohol beer. I mean, why don't you just buy orange juice or, well, or pear juice or something? If you want a soft drink, oh, give over, Norman. If you want a soft drink, you miserable devil. Because <laughs> if you don't drink, I haven't drunk for nearly 20 years now. And if you don't drink, the idea that now that there are these, so it makes you feel much more part of the environment. 
and you can go to the pub and all that. I used to avoid the pub because you get fed up of drinking Coke and water and uh, um, whereas now you can actually have a beer. Or a gin. Doesn't, doesn't taste as good, does it? Yeah, it the tastes beer is good. The, like... the alcohol-free Guinness, you can't tell the difference. I bet you can. Yeah. I've, give, I've given cans of it at home to people and not told them. Oh, well, you'll just oh, test really me out on one. one of those. And, yeah. and do they act more drunk as well yeah. when you do it? Because like, I've seen... Honestly, I've done it with the wine as well. The, the, oh, I've you seen can those tell social experiments. There's where, no, yeah. good, <laughs> no good non-alcoholic I've had people, like I've had people tipsy in my house on alcohol. You haven't. I have. I have, really? yeah, There's been hilarious. really interesting social experiments that have shown that people, given, you know, if they don't know they're not drinking alcohol, they start to behave in the way mm. they're expected to. Mm. The placebo. Because of the placebo effect. Mm. And actually, people from different countries behave differently because how we behave when we're mm. drunk is a kind of cult is culturally determined. Uh, so yes. English people behave differently to Danes when they're... How do the Danes foods. behave? Much better than us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Norman, um, this is in The Guardian as well, actually. Um, centrist Tory MPs uh, rejecting the claim that they must shift to the right. Yes, they are re rejecting that, and, and this is actually quite sensible from their point of view because elections are one in the centre ground. Well, They're not yeah. one on the extremes of left or right, as Jeremy Corbyn demonstrated uh, for, for Labour uh, in 2019. So they're saying stick to the centre, but of course that's not necessarily what's happening. And Danny Kruger, who's actually on the right of the party yesterday, as we know, um, said that through his face, obliteration, that was his words, and said that the last 13 years everything's got worse, which is a dramatic confession by a Tory MP. Well, it's a very odd thing for an MP. Is he standing down at the next election? I think he's standing down, but nevertheless, oh, yeah. um, it's an odd thing for Just him to well. say. Um, and then Stephen Hammond, who's saying, who's saying that Kruger is wrong and that the, stance, the party must stay in the centre, has also said they should accept mistakes. Most significantly, he says, Stephen Hammond, the hyperbole about the benefits of Brexit. So he's, he's um, criticising Brexit. So it seems to me the Tory party is involved in some sort of civil war, really. Yes, yeah. we wouldn't be the first to think that. Um, Fraser, should we look to the FT? And this is uh, Rishi Sunak evoking memories of 1992 with his latest election strategy pivot. What's he up to? Uh, so Sunak is hoping to uh, essentially replicate the success of John Major in 1992, where he won a surprise election. Uh, he's trying to say that, you know, things are going well, don't rock the boat with Labour, don't take the risk. Uh, I just don't think it's going to work for him because people are not feeling better off. We've had 15 years of sort of wage stagnation. Inflation is coming down, that's true, but, you know, for most people, prices aren't actually going down. It's just the rate of uh, price mm. increases that is slowing. Uh, doesn't look like GDP is going to go up that much. It's how, he's trying to say, you know, don't throw away um, all this great stuff we have. We don't have that much great stuff. Mm. And on the, on the flip side, with Starmer, do voters really see him as a risk in terms of the economy? I mean, voters probably see him as a bit boring, probably playing it too safe, if anything. Mm, I don't know. What do you make of it now that you, you can sort of taken a backward step? Backward step? Well, yes, yeah, so but you're away from, from sideways politics. Step. OK, sideways <laughs> step, a sideways step. Um, do, you, do, you think this is, do you think this is right, the idea that we should expect the country to be in a better position now or for us all to feel better off or whatever um, after 13 years of, 14 years of Tory rule? 
when you bear in mind what has happened over, over that time, would any party have done any better? Well, I, I think the last few years since, uh, dare I say, since the end of the coalition have been pretty shambolic. And a succession of prime ministers, ministers resigning, everything else. Of course, there have been external events, COVID most uh, significantly. But I think there's the general expectation that, uh, that people uh, have that the population gets better off and society gets better as time goes on. That's been the case since 1945. Mm. What's interesting when we talked about it on the programme um, last week is that uh, the shadow cabinet were given a briefing by their campaign's uh, lead, basically pointing to eight countries around the world where the party with the significant lead in the polls fell at the mm. last 10 days or so and ended up yeah. losing, and basically saying there is a very strong chance that that could happen in the sort of um, John Major mode of success. So, you know, Rishi Sunak might not be wrong. No, he might know. not be wrong. And, and I think this is the thing that ke uh, keeps Keir Starmer up at night, certainly. There is, uh, it's his to lose. You know, so it's, yeah. people have talked yeah. about him almost like carrying a Ming vase on a, on a tightrope. You know, how, mm. how easily could things be thrown away? Mm. Um, I, th I think the polls will narrow as the yeah. election comes up. I mean, a lot of the gap at the moment is people who were previous Tory voters saying they're not going to vote. Maybe they'll turn out, maybe they won't. I don't think they have anything to turn out for, uh, but let's see. I think the polls will narrow, that's quite, that's quite right. But having said that, uh, the government is unpopular, and the lesson from unpopular governments in the past is that the population at large, electorate, punish governments for not going to the country, for dragging things out. It happened with Jim Callaghan in 79, mm. it happened with John Major in 97, it happened with Gordon Brown in 2010. Mm. That's why I think it's going to be a May election. Yeah, I think Still you might be right. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a quick one on tipping. Uh, what do you make of this, Norman? You'll, you'll know. Um, when the tip is added automatically to the bill... Yes. 12.5% it normally is, that includes VAT as yes. well. Is that right? Yes, because of, because of discretionary charges on the bill, including VAT. Well, that, that's terrible, isn't it? We shouldn't be, we shouldn't so be tipping quibble. on the VAT. You could say, right, the service was OK, but I only want to pay 10% on the food, not including the VAT. But then the, you couldn't really step foot in that restaurant again, could you? Well, you could like do, that. but I mean, it's, I mean, I think you either pay it or you don't pay it. Mm. I mean, I, the issue for me is, has it gone to the business or has it gone to the staff? Yeah. Uh, we don't know that. I sometimes ask the question, and I end up sometimes tipping in... in in, in money, in coins, yeah. in notes, as it but were. But does that go to the kitchen or just to the waiter that you've done? Well, no, is that necessarily fair? I well, mean, it's always a, oh, well, it goes into a pot. It goes into a pot, yeah. always a tip jar. Yeah, that, that, that's how it works. Mm. But, I mean, quite often it goes to... If I ask them, it goes to the business, in which case they don't pay it. Clearly, what, what that has highlighted to me is that when you were getting your massive tips at Wimbledon, you didn't put it in the tip jar. <laughs> no, 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 we didn't. Yeah, it's time warm feeling inside from boxed boilers sponsors of weather on gb news Hello, a very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray 4th. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is 
cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be. Minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the Southern Uplands, otherwise rain at lower level, and feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK, and for Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells, widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. That warm feeling inside, from Boxed Boilers. Sponsors of Weather on GB News. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens. With our team of dedicated journalists across the UK, we're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Join us every night on GB News at 11pm for Headliners, which is three top comedians going through the next day's news stories. Which is exactly what you need, because when the establishment has gone crazy, you need some craziness to make sense of it. Headliners. You don't have to bother reading the newspaper. We've got it covered for you. Every night at 11pm and repeated every morning at 5am. We won't send you to sleep like some of the other paper review shows out there. So join us 11pm every night on GB News. The People's Channel. Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. So, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean, and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Tired of the usual focus-tested, pre-prepared Westminster runaround? Well, so am I. So you want higher taxes? Is your department to blame for this? Are you rethinking this policy? Every Sunday at 9.30, I'll be sitting down with those in power to get the truth about the issues affecting you. Let's be honest, we've known about the cost pressures of this project for years, not months. That's the Camilla Tomini Show, a politics show with personality. On GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels 
we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News, Britain's news channel. Good morning. It is very nearly 8 o'clock on Tuesday the 9th of January. This is Breakfast with Stephen and Isabel. Uh, here's what's leading the news this morning. The government is scrambling to draw up plans to clear the names of hundreds of post office branch managers wrongly convicted of theft and fraud. More pressure on the former post office boss, Paula Venels, to be stripped of her CBE. The Prime Minister says he'd strongly support the Honours Committee if it decided to do that. Our political reporter Catherine Forster has more. Yes, over a million people have signed the petition demanding that that CBE be revoked. Meanwhile, Parliament looking at legislation to allow the courts to overturn hundreds of wrongful convictions. I'll bring you more shortly. In other news this morning, Britain on amber alert. Many of you are waking up to snow and ice, with temperatures reaching as low as minus 9 degrees Celsius. Our reporters across the big freeze zone have the latest. I'm on Winter Hill in Bolton, where, like much of England, an amber-cold health alert has been put in place. And, of course, here in the West Midlands, we've been suffering from that flooding and temperatures overnight have plummeted into the negatives. I'll have more details. And I'm Lisa Hartle in Kent, which has also been uh, added to the amber alert overnight for snow and ice. Well, we'll have the latest developments as well this morning from the Met Office and Aidan McGiven. There was a small amount of snow in places yesterday and with a cold start again today, will there be any more of the white stuff? I'll have the full forecast coming up soon. And insurers are saying the number of pothole-related claims has increased by 40%. So why aren't our roads being repaired? I'll have the very latest sport, as always, with Paul Coit. Morning. Two legends of sport, especially from the 70s that we lost yesterday, Franz Beckenbauer uh, and also J.P.R. Williams. And also the draw for the fourth round of the FA Cup. And I knew, I could tell that Spurs had drawn a bad team. Do you know why? Why? Gary Mabbott is making the draw and he pulls out a ball and he would smile every time. Number 35. <laughs> number 27. And, and then they said Tottenham Hotspur will play and he went... Number so and so. And then it turned out to be Manchester City. So that's how I knew, oh, Gary. Dear. OK, just after half past eight, we're going to be discussing the big stories making headlines today with Norman Baker and Fraser Myers, including accusations that the government has done nothing to help those families affected by recent floods. And, of course, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you know what to do. Send us an email, gbviews at gbnews.com.
Oh, Tipping's got everyone going this morning, hasn't yes. it? Lots of you this morning. Um, Len says, if I go to my local with my wife, a beer, a wine and dinner is 130. Ooh. And if they don't pay the staff, it's not my problem. So I think Len's saying he can't afford a tip on top of all of that. Yeah, well, to, and to be fair, though, uh, with the way with minimum wage and things in this country, there's, mm. they've got to be paid what they've got to be paid. Mm. It's not as if we need to top up their wages mm. in that sense. Is it? Um, maybe I'm being unfair, I don't know. Um, Andy says, only tip when the service is of a high standard. I'm not embarrassed at not leaving a tip. I would agree with you on that one. Um, Helen Louise disagrees. I always feel obliged to tip. Employer, employers should pay a fair wage. In other industries, accepting tips and gifts is classed as an ethics issue. The UK as a whole is sliding into American trade models where corporate greed comes before treating staff fairly and decently. Well, employers should pay a fair wage. Mm. You're absolutely right. Mm. Absolutely right. But would. But therefore, that means tips. You know, we should literally just tip mm. if we think it's it's worthy of that. And hopefully, that would encourage people to to give you really good service. I mean, I quite like giving a tip. If so, if it's been go somewhere and the service has been really good, mm. it's like a pleasure to give a tip, mm. isn't it? Yeah, but it's also very embarrassing. You know, if you're going to the hairdressers and you're giving a 10% of what you've just paid for, it's often just a couple of coins and I find that embarrassing. It's not very British, is it, to be handing cash to somebody? It's all very awkward. I'd rather it was included in the bill, but does it get to the right people if that is the case? Let us know your thoughts this morning. GBVs at gbnews.com. Well, our top story this morning, and government ministers have drawn up urgent plans to clear the names of more than 700 postmasters wrongly convicted in what's been described as the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. So the Post Office Minister, Kevin Hollenrake, says he and the Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, are looking to speed up overturning the remaining cases. Yeah, believe it or not, just 93 of the wrongful convictions have been quashed so far. Four people have taken their own lives and, of course, many hundreds of others have quite simply been ruined. Well, MPs and members of the public, it should be said, have asked whether it should have taken an ITV drama to bring the Horizon Post Office scandal into greater focus. Our reporter, Theo Jacumba, has this report. The computer system Post Office spent an arm and a leg on is faulty. It's been described as one of the worst miscarriages of justice. More than 700 postmasters were accused of fraud over a faulty system. For decades, victims of the Post Office Horizon scandal have been fighting to have their wrongful convictions overturned. Less than 100 have been successful. Well, I've lost everything which I looked at uh, for my whole family, the buildings, uh, the whole building plus my house, uh, reputation in the area which I've lived for 50 years. Uh, haven't been down, had to move out to the area to try and avoid seeing these people who I've known for so many years. Between 1999 and 2015, the post office spent millions prosecuting 736 sub-postmasters based on information from a computer system called Horizon. Some went to prison following convictions for false accounting and theft, leaving many financially ruined castigated by their communities and some took their lives. Questions are now being asked about how the Lib Dem leader Sir Ed Davey handled the scandal when he was a minister in the coalition government. Between 2010 and 2012 as the Postal Affairs Minister, 
Ed Davey was accused of refusing to meet Alan Bates, the sub-postmaster who campaigned to expose the scandal, which he denies. He says he was misled by the post office executives. I wish I'd known then what we all know now. The post office was lying on an industrial scale to me and other ministers. And when I met uh, Alan Bates and listened to his concerns, I put those concerns to the officials in my department, to the post office, to the National Federation of Postmasters. And it's clear they all were lying to me. Treasury Minister Bim Afalami says the government is taking this seriously, despite criticism over how long it's taking. It's not fair that it's taken the TV drama. As I said, we brought forward the post office compensation bill several months ago in order to bring this forward. We've already paid out interim payments for compensation, so we have already been working to deal with this in this government. But we know that not everything is done yet, and we'll, we will not rest until every single person wrongly treated in this has justice. Meanwhile, lawyer Nick Freeman says legal action needs to be taken quickly. All the names need to be pulled together. They need to go before the Court of Appeal, even if they don't want to, and have those convictions just overturned. It, it would need an emergency legislation to deal with that. There are MPs who have done a sterling job in bringing this to the public and fighting for these sub-postmasters. Um, but was there anyone in the government who actually um, tried not to assist, tried to get in the way? I don't believe there was. Despite the scandal having been public knowledge for some time, the ITV drama has thrust it back into the limelight as pressure mounts on the politicians to be held accountable and accelerate the process to overturn the convictions of hundreds of postmasters. Theo Chikomba, GB News. Uh, well, as you saw there, there are growing calls to revoke the CBE of former post office boss Paula Venels. Well, the Prime Minister said he would also strongly support the Honours Committee if they decide to take that action. Well, we've been trying to gauge your views on that. Let's have a look. I should take it off her. Because it was not anybody else's fault by theirs. So, fair comment. Why, not why let other people suffer? Take it away and should be prosecuted. Definitely. They were covering up and they knew them people had lost their businesses, killed, so whatever. It's basically down to them. So I think they should be prosecuted and paid for what they've done. Well, I think she should, yeah, yeah. The scandal's happened, yeah, I think so. I think she should take it off her and. I think she should not have had it, basically. She caused more problems than she, like, resolved any, and she ruined people's lives, but, so she should not keep that CBE. I think it should be taken away from her, because people shouldn't be treated like that, I don't think. She's an Anglican priest as well. A lot of people who've watched the documentary saying they're really surprised uh, to hear that about her and the fact that she hasn't wanted to hand back her honour herself. Um, pretty much consensus in your views on this. What about the politicians? Well, the Lib Dem leader, Ed Davey, has been under fire for not doing enough to help the wrongfully convicted post convicted postmasters when he was Postal Affairs Minister between 2010 and 2012. He's claimed that he himself was deeply misled. Mm. But last night, Nigel Farage raised a pretty good point on GB News. What about the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer? After all, he was Director of Public Prosecutions at the time. The Director of Public Prosecutions, the DPP, which Starmer did, I repeat, from 2008 until 2013, has power 
under Section 6.2 of the Act to take over private prosecutions. So, actually, Starmer had the power to take over these prosecutions or, indeed, to say enough. And it's impossible to believe, given the hundreds of prosecutions that were happening, given the media uh, commentary that was taking place at the time, that he wasn't aware of it. Well, let's bring in our political correspondent, Catherine Forster, uh, for the very latest in all of this. It certainly feels as though this story is gaining momentum. Uh, what can the government do to address it? Yes, well, first of all, there was a long debate in the House of Commons yesterday. The government looking at several measures, first of which, and probably most urgently, is a way of um, quashing these hundreds of wrongful convictions of sub-postmasters. Only 93 have been overturned so far at over, out of over 700. So the government, um, obviously, it's not something that the government can do unilaterally. It is a matter for the courts. But given the numbers, given they now know these were all um, false convictions, um, the government is potentially looking at bringing in legislation, a bill in Parliament, which would then enable the courts to quash these convictions en masse. That's the first thing. We are expecting an announcement later this week. The government under huge pressure all of a sudden to deal with this and deal with this fast. Um, another big issue, of course, is that of compensation. Now, there has been a um, compensation scheme set up by the government. There's also an ongoing public inquiry. Many sub-postmasters have received compensation, but still hundreds who have not. Um, and that, there's pretty much unanimous agreement, needs to be speeded up. But, of course, who's going to foot the bill? Um, the post office is publicly owned by the government, by taxpayers, by us. But, of course, the Horizon software system, which was at fault in this, is made by Japanese tech firm Fujitsu, um, a private company. They have many existing government contacts. What um, is extended very, very recently, many feeling that really it was their tech that was at fault. They should be footing the bill for this. But united agreement that things need to move quickly. But, of course, this is a scandal that has been known about, first revealed by Computer Weekly, nearly 15 years ago, although convictions went on for some six years after those initial concerns were raised. And really, um, people right across the political spectrum, um, yes, some have been working very hard to, to get this dealt with, but, you know, lot of blame being thrown around. Sir Ed Davey, one of about a dozen um, post office ministers during the period, coming in for a lot of criticism for pretty much just accepting um, what the post office said and what, what they were told without probing into it, perhaps as deeply as he might have. Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, being criticised. He was director of public prosecutions. Question as to why they didn't intervene. Well, of course, Labour are saying, well, he was in charge of public prosecutions. These were private prosecutions and also uh, the scale of this, the extent of this was not clear. But also, of course, difficult for the government. It's first emerged reports of this first 2009. The coalition government came in 2010. Um, it's been widely known about for many, many, many years. But as so often happens, ordinary people who've had horrendous injustice um, 
happened to them, lives ruined, still waiting for things to be sorted out. We've seen it with the contaminated blood scandal that goes back decades, some 50 years, and people still waiting for justice, but hopes now that with this ITV drama really galvanising the public and so galvanising the government, things might move rather more quickly at last. OK, Catherine, thank you. Now, more snow is expected across England today. The Met Office has issued an amber cold health alert for several regions that lasts right through until lunchtime on Friday. Yes, the icy blast comes in the aftermath of Storm Henk, which left many areas flooded and many unable to return to their homes. Well, we've got reporters right across the Amber Alert Zone this morning. Jack Carson's in Birmingham. Sophie Reaper is in Bolton. Lisa Hartle is in... Kent, good morning, all of you. Jack, let's start with you. What's happening? Oh, Sophie. Sophie, I'm being told we're starting with you. What's happening there? Well, this morning I'm here at Winter Hill in Bolton and I can confirm to you that the name does exactly what it says on the tin this morning because it really, really does feel like winter up here. It is absolutely freezing. Uh, you mentioned that the UK Health Security Agency, along with the Met Office, have issued that amber cold health alert uh, across much of England, including here in the northwest. And as you say, that will remain in place now until Friday at midday. And I'm sure many of our viewers this morning and we'll be asking, well, what exactly is an amber cold health alert? Well, in this sense, amber is the third level of four, which expresses the severity of extreme temperatures. Of course, in this case, very, very cold temperatures. And what that means is we're expecting this to have an impact across the entire health service, as well as there being potential risk to the entire population. It also means that they've deemed a coordinated response as necessary. Now, I'm sure many of our viewers this morning will be concerned as temperatures approach that zero freezing mark. Many people will be worried about freezing pipes, about ice on the roads, all that kind of thing. And I'm sure many of us will want to reach for the thermostat stats in our homes but the issue lies that gas is so expensive right now that many people will feel feel they simply cannot afford to twist that thermostat up even by a few degrees and realistically that is where the real danger to people's health will lie Sophie, thanks very much. Well, let's go to Kent, Lisa, because we can see you're in the snow there. And uh, it's pretty unusual, frankly, for the southeast to have snow that sticks. It's sort of a once a year event at, the, at best. Uh, what's the situation where you are this morning? Well, I'm in Sevenoaks in Kent. Yesterday, they saw the first snowfall of the year. Overnight, there was more snowfall. Um, and whilst it looked beautiful, that has, of course, meant that some of the roads, there are warnings on because they are <coughs> potentially dangerous to drive on. Now, overnight, the gritters were out on the primary routes, ensuring that they are safe for motorists. But uh, just driving here today, as, you, as soon as you come off the main roads, of course, the, the uh, quieter roads are very icy. And uh, there's people, I've, I've watched the parents taking their kids to school this morning, doing that very tiptoe precarious walk to ensure they don't fall over on the ice and uh, weather forecasters are also predicting more snowfall uh, for this area and including Tunbridge Wells in particular uh, from this afternoon into from midday sorry to this afternoon so just the, the warnings are just be careful on the roads and if you're out and about obviously walking on the pavements uh, to be uh, to be careful as they are uh, incredibly icy. OK, thank you. Let's head to the West Midlands then. Uh, well, actually, I think you're in Coventry, aren't you, Jack?
uh, which, which isn't quite West Midlands, but ne no, I am in, I am in the I am in Birmingham. I'm in the West. I'm in the West Midlands, Stephen. Here in Smethwick uh, this morning, because a little bit later on today, we're going to be uh, in a warm bank. Of course, speaking to uh, speaking to a local community centre here about the space that they're offering for people to come in and keep warm. Because of course, as we have this cold snap here in the West Midlands, um, one of the big issues that you know, people really start to feel, as, as Sophie was mentioning, there is whether people can turn up that thermostat, can turn on uh, their energy energy because data from uh, the latest data we've got which is the data from 2022 because you have this two-year lag it's 3.26 million homes estimated um, by the office for national statistics are in some kind of fuel poverty of course here in Birmingham it's one of the worst um, areas uh, for fuel poverty in the UK it's estimated around 23% of all households here um, are in some kind of fuel poverty and so these warm spaces that I'm going to one of them of which I'm going to be in a little bit later on um, is you know is really important to much of the community, particularly here as well uh, in Smethwick, not only for keeping warm, but also for those older people who we know at this time of year particularly suffer from, from the cold and, and loneliness as well. It gives them a chance to come and have a chat uh, with each other, socialise and, of course, um, keep warm as well. But the other picture of this cold snap here in, in Birmingham and here across the widerly across the, the West Midlands and other parts of the Midlands is, of course, the still impact from that flooding from Storm Henk. Of course, we saw big parts of Worcester underwater. The River Severn burst its banks at multiple points uh, as well. So this cold weather causing a very thin layer of ice over that standing water that's still not been able to uh, to go away is the other thing now that those households that are trying to recover from that flooding are, are having to deal with. Yeah, gosh, so much to think about in all of this. The top tips that I have gleaned, cat litter um, to help avoid slipping oh. um, and make sure your pipes are all secure and don't burst. Um, but for now, thank you all for braving the cold for us, Lisa, Sophie and Jack. We appreciate it very much. Uh, let's have a look at some of the other stories heading into the newsroom at 20 past eight this morning. Well, the allegation that Jeffrey Epstein secretly filmed his influential friends, including Sir Richard Branson having sex with young women, has been dismissed by the Virgin boss as baseless and unfounded. The claim was made by Sarah Ransom, one of Epstein's unverified victims, who in newly unsealed court documents in the US said she'd seen the tapes herself and was ready to testify in court. Well, a Virgin Group spokesperson has said that Ransom admitted she invented the tapes in a New York report published in 2019. Former US presidents Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, as well as Prince Andrew, have also been named and are denying all allegations against them. Channel 4's criticised a decision by the media regulator to appoint four white directors to the board. Yesterday, Lucy Fraser, the culture secretary, approved the roles of five new non-executive directors, four of whom are white. This has sparked criticism from the broadcaster's chairman, who said the appointments were lagging behind the channel's own diversity targets. France's Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne has resigned after two years in the post. It comes ahead of an expected reshuffle by President Macron. It's not yet known who will be appointed as her successor. Now, potholes, they're the bane of every motorist's life and lots of cyclists as well, it has to be said. And it would seem the problem is getting worse again. Pothole claims on the insurance up 40% in a year. Mm, and you know what that means? 
vehicle insurance also going up. Uh, Admiral recorded over 1,300 claims across the year. That's up from 900 on the previous year. And, of course, that costs an awful lot. Well, the average payout now £3,000. That's up 29%. So, what's going mm. wrong? Let's talk to motoring journalist and broadcaster Amanda Stratton. Amanda, good to see you this morning. But, I mean, this is a huge problem. Why is it that councils aren't taking potholes seriously? Well, it's not so much that they're not taking them seriously. It's just that they haven't got the resource to deal with the problem properly. So when a pothole is reported to the council, what you very often see is somebody coming out, patching that pothole in um, and giving it a temporary fix, so to speak. But what's really happening there is perhaps um, the fix is being put in over the water that's already in that pothole. So as soon as the weather freezes and the water expands, that fix starts breaking up and the pothole reappears almost immediately. So it's a very much a short-term fix, um, but really what it comes down to is the councils and people who are looking after the roads just have not got the resource to deal with the problem properly, which involves full resurfacing. Um, interesting. Um, other people have different views. I'm just looking at some of the emails that we've received this morning, Amanda. Dave says that actually neither the councils nor government have any real desire to deal with potholes. They say it's just another arm of their war on motorists forcing more vehicles off the road. And actually, he points the finger at electric vehicles. He says the main reason for worse potholes is they're heavier and therefore have more drag on the surface when pulling away in particular. Is that true? OK, well, bits of that are true. Um, OK, we'll start with the EV part of it first. Yes, electric vehicles are heavier, um, but really them pulling away versus an internal combustion engine or a van or a, any type of heavier vehicle um, breaking up the road. I mean, the, the, the EVs still don't make up enough vehicles on the road to be making that much of a sizable difference. And they certainly tend not to be driving that um, aggressively because, of course, you've always got to protect your range. Um, so that's the first thing. The second point there about the government's war on the motorists and getting them off the road. Actually, if we are ever going to make a switch to autonomous vehicles, which is, of course, the sort of long term aim, um, we need to have smooth road, road surfaces um, and potholes are going to be a real issue then. So I, I, I would refute that point uh, quite quite seriously, because we, we need to have some uh, some good roads and very good surfaces. For autonomous vehicles, but also for bicycles um, and other types of transport, as as you already mentioned. I mean, I know you said you know, for councils, resources are tight and all the rest of it, but it's about prioritising, isn't it? Because the patch and dash solution, which so many use, is literally throwing money away. Exactly. That's the problem. Um, I mean, it's a very short-term fix. Yes, that pothole is temporarily filled in, but potholes are caused by the water seeping into the cracks into, in the road. When that water freezes, it expands, and that's what starts creating cracks and then breaking up the road surface. So it really is a temporary fix, um, really throwing good money, um, well, just good money away. Um, but I think actually what's important is people know that they don't have to always claim through their insurance company. They can claim through the council or the highways agency, depending on who's responsible for the road. But that does require you to actually get a lot of information, um, some of which isn't always easy to get hold of, particularly if you're driving on a busy road. Um, but photographs, exact locations, um, any costs that you've incurred for your damage, uh, you can send that through to the council and they are actually obliged to pay it. 
Interesting. Well, you know what? What's almost yeah. as inevitable as the fact that we are going to see more potholes is this enrages our viewers and listeners. Okay. Amanda, so many emails about it this morning. Thanks very much for your take in all of this. And if you're listening or watching at home, keep your thoughts coming in and we'll read out just as many of those as we can. I mean, Jim's saying here, many councils look like they've spent all their budgets on installing miles of cycle lanes, widening footpaths, closing off roads, but bus gates, etc., instead of repairing our roads. Um, and, you know, lots yeah. of people share that view. It's just not a priority, as you say. And in terms of the insurance, um, you're reluctant to claim on the insurance for fear of it going up. This is it. Just renewed my car insurance. Mm. And it's gone up 50%. It had, had, gone you, up, had you it, made a claim? It had, no. Right. It had gone up 66%, so I rang them up, always ring them up, mm -hmm. rang them up and said, I'm not happy, and they took it down. But it's still 50% oh. more expensive than it was last Everything's year. Everything's going With no claims, no points on the mm. licence, nothing at all. And they just went, well, you know, it's all down to inflation and yeah. our increased costs. One positive, I filled up my car. Um, I've got an estate car. I filled up my car for the first time in six months. It costs less than 100 quid. It's cost oh, a yeah. fortune to fill my car, to drive to work, whatever it is I'm doing. So there is some good news. The price of fuel is going down at least. But it's tough out there for good, you need to make the worst. servings to pay for your damaged wheels exactly. with the potholes. <laughs> Can't exactly. win. Exactly. It's terrible. OK, well, of course, potholes, as we were saying, the bad weather uh, causes a lot of the problems. Uh, let's see just how bad it's going to be today with Aidan. Hello, a very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray Forth. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be. Minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the southern uplands, otherwise rain at lower level, feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK. For Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells. Widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. Now, Paul Coit will be joining us very shortly with all the latest sport. Don't go anywhere. GB News is Britain's news channel, and now you can support it. All you have to do is scan that QR code that's up on your screen right now, or you can go to gbnews.com forward slash support and become a GB News member. You'll have fantastic benefits. We're also going to organise special events where you as GB News members can meet the presenters, the on-screen faces, scan the QR code or go to gbnews.com slash support. Thank you so much. 
Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7 p.m. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. Open your mouth. OK, here comes, a, here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? <laughs> Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. I'm Andrew Doyle. Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Wake up to the headlines with Headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Every Sunday from 11, join Michael Portillo. There will be topical discussion, looking at the week before and the week to come. So kick back and relax at 11am on Sundays on GB News with me, Michael Portillo. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. Sir, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Curse, on this Saturday Night Showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians, and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday Night Showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show. Every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. On the whole tip issue, yeah. someone's tweeted me, mm. uh, Marie, I think it is, mm -hmm. saying, I just wanted to raise it because I don't think it's right. Sorry, Marie, she says, Tax, uh, tips are taxable, and even if you fail to declare your earnings from tips, HMRC will estimate it for you and then deduct the tax directly from your income. Depends how much you earn away. from the... So I always tip unless it's been extremely bad service. I don't think... That, that definitely happens in Europe, in Spain, anyway. They estimate tips and you get you have to pay the tax mm -hmm. on it whether you get them or not but i've just been looking it up marie and that isn't how it works they are taxable and you are meant to declare them but if you don't declare them you don't get they don't estimate it and just mm -hmm. take it anyway so marie's tipping because she thinks that they're being taxed on it anyway but apparently according to uh low incomes tax reform group 
that isn't the case. Oh, there we go. It was very niche, but I like it. Yeah, well, it's important because <laughs> it's one of the more things you think I'm obliged no, absolutely. to pay. Yeah, it does factor in whether or not people decide to do it. And lots of you have been saying, quite frankly, in this day and age, when you're paying a fortune more than ever to eat out and possibly the service isn't as good as it used to be, why should you give a generous tip? Um, let us know your thoughts in all of this. Somebody who does tip very generously, of course. Oh, oh ridiculously so. I always make a point of when the, the waiter or the waitress comes over, is to, because often it goes on the bill, doesn't it? And then if you're going to pay with a card and say, well, do you get this? Because if you don't, then I will give you the cash for that separately. Because a lot of places, then they just add it on. But it's and how many of them actually get it? It's meant to be. Though. Didn't the law change? So they're meant, it's legally, they're obliged to spread it around. Right. Isn't, that's your research for the next break. That's the next, get that's back to me on that break. one, please. But how many times do you think if it's been good service and you tip, mm. my parents do this, they tip, and you said, but it's already included on the bill. So, so there's double tip. Twice. Yeah, you have Very to be crafty. careful not to yeah, do yeah. that twice. And also, you don't have to go with what's on the bill either. No. So you could actually say, well, actually, I'd rather pay 5%. It's when they hand anybody's you, ever actually done that. It's when they hand you the machine and you get the option tip green oh. if you want to order tip or red cross and they're standing there. And I could just never Looking press the you. red. Oh, I do. I, I just do. do it. I do. Oh, I just get, get so out embarrassed. Quickly. Anyway. Um, what have you got for us? Let's talk about a little word about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods oh, has, has ended his association with Nike. 27 years, he's been sponsored by Nike. I mean, all, everything that he's done, he's always had the, like, the red shirt on the last day. Spot there, there we are. There's the final ad. It was one hell of a round, Tiger. And uh, over 27 years, he's done OK out of it. This is just from Nike. So if you think of all the money he's made from playing golf, just from his sponsorship um, from Nike, we're talking 500 million, but it's expected and believed that he has earned them billions. Right. So it's worked out very nicely, but they're moving away a little more from golf. So that's coming to an end. And then again, it probably Tiger will be moving a little more away from golf as well. Yeah. One, one of the other... Um, Sponsorships, which is also very well known. And this is two greats of the 70s. One football, one rugby. Mm. Franz Beckenbauer. Now, yeah. Franz Beckenbauer associated with Adidas for all his life. There's the great boots. I mean, as a kid, a pair of Beckenbauer supers. Everybody wanted the... the look at all these. Look, the uh, look at that. Honestly, if there's like you the got any of them. Football boot porn. There it is. Look <laughs> at those. Those Beckenbauer boots in the top right. Yeah, I had the... And my son, who's 16 now, when I've tried to talk him into getting boots, I'm saying, look, look at those, the Beckenbauer boots. He's going, He's not interested. They're referees' boots. And I'm like, they're oh. beautiful. Um, but interesting, uh, do you know about the, the Adidas link between uh, Adidas and Puma? No. It's a very brief story. I don't know if we've got time for this, but yes, it's always, I always find it really interesting. Adidas um, started by a man called Adidasler. So that's where the name Adidas comes from. There were two brothers that lived in... It was near Nuremberg, it was in the, in the south of Germany. One called Addy and his brother, who was Rudy Dassler. Now, the two of them, they started making boots. Then they fell out. So Rudy said, I'm not going to work with you anymore. And it was all... It was a family argument about, about Addy's wife. So anyway, Rudy then moved across the river in this small village and started his own boot company, and he called them Puma. So Puma and wow. Adidas, born both of the same thing. Exactly, the two biggest sportswear companies they became in the world, and the brothers never spoke again see, for the rest good of their lives. Trivia knowledge. It's not. It's a great I love story, it. it's a though. Good isn't pub it? quiz answer there. But Franz Beckenbauer. I mean, the Kaiser. 
Um, name the Kaiser. I mean, there are different stories about reason why, but really simply, he was the emperor. He was yeah. the king. He was the best. There were, we've had Pele pass away a year ago, Maradona the year before that, but Franz Beckenbauer, just one of the great players, a World Cup winner as uh, there he is as captain back in 1974 uh, at the German. A World Cup and then became a manager and then managed the team to the World Cup in 1990 as well. There he is back in 66, made his debut there, played against Bobby Charlton in the 1966 final. He was just a kid. He was a great, though, wasn't he? One of the greats. Um, we can't go without mentioning um, the, one of the greats in rugby, as you JPR. say, uh, there, Paul. JPR, a bit younger, 74, but to Welsh Oof, fans, rugby fans, he played for the British Lions as oh, well. One of the greats. It's, it's amazing because incredibly tough as a rugby player. I mean, really hard. And don't get me wrong, he would, he would get involved in any sort of scrap that was going on. He certainly wouldn't be shy with that. But whereas his hands then became his, his fortune because he was a surgeon, an orthopaedic surgeon. And one of the great quotes that he said, uh, that he spent 50% of his life uh, breaking bones and then the other 50 actually fixing them afterwards. <laughs> but, Very um, handy to have someone like that on your rugby team. Uh, absolutely, but uh, a true great and played in those great Wales sides of the 70s along with Gareth Edwards, uh, JJ Williams, because he was originally John Williams, but because of JJ, there were two John Williams known as JPR, and he never had to have his surname mentioned after that because everybody knew JPR. Okay. Socks rolled down, those fantastic sideburns as well. Fabulous. Uh, look, we're going to see you in the next hour, aren't we? Yes. Oh, yeah, with Stefan Freund. We'll yeah. talk a little bit more about oh, France. Right, OK. Yeah, lovely stuff, Paul. Thank you. Now, German farmers are rising up. They're taking after the French. Tractors and lorries are blocking cities in a massive protest. We'll tell you more in Headline Makers in just a moment. Join us every night on GB News at 11pm for Headliners, which is three top comedians going through the next day's news stories. Which is exactly what you need, because when the establishment has gone crazy, you need some craziness to make sense of it. Headliners. You don't have to bother reading the newspaper. We've got it covered for you. Every night at 11pm and repeated every morning at 5am. We won't send you to sleep like some of the other paper review shows out there. So join us 11pm every night on GB News. The People's Channel. Britain's news channel. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels, we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. So, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean, and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News.
Big stories, big guests, and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News. Britain's news channel. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. GB News is Britain's news channel, and now you can support it. All you have to do is scan that QR code that's up on your screen right now, or you can go to gbnews.com forward slash support and become a GB News member. You'll have fantastic benefits. We're also going to organise special events where you as GB News members can meet the presenters, the on-screen faces, scan the QR code or go to gbnews.com slash support. Thank you so much. Welcome back. We're going through headline makers this morning in the company of Fraser Myers and Norman Baker. And Fraser, we're going to start with this Alaska Airlines flight. And there's some footage that has emerged from inside the cabin, spectacularly, uh, which lost a panel mid-flight on Friday. And the news today is that they found a whole bunch of other similar planes with loose bolts. Should we have a look? Yes, yeah, so this is... Uh, <laughs> imagine sitting next to, you know, the side of a plane and suddenly... Basically, the emergency door almost blows out. And, and what's interesting is you can't actually see the, the way this model is set up. You wouldn't even know that you were next to that emergency no, door. No, it's, like it's, it's like a spare it's emergency like, exactly, door. Exactly, and, and yeah. because of the way it's been redesigned. And now they've realised um, that actually there's a fault with um, essentially all of the planes that are configured like that. So loads of, loads of planes have been grounded, loads oh, of the, flights have been cancelled. The, the screws aren't quite tight enough. The screws aren't quite tight enough. And, you, you know, no. you think we live in this amazing world of uh, technology and such simple things can trip us up. But, you know, the broader context is interesting, is that last year was the safest uh, year for aviation on record. Really? And there wasn't a single... In terms of international flights, there wasn't a single fatal accident. Mm. You compare that to just going on the road or yeah, well, yeah. terrified of flying. But actually, it's unbelievably safe nowadays. Yeah. I have to say, what they need are, are Boris Bolts, do they not? Boris <laughs> Bolts. Uh, make sure nothing moves. We should explain, in case people ha weren't watching the last hour, this was um, allegedly uh, Nick Ferrari at LBC said they had to bolt the chair that Boris Johnson would sit on to the floor because he would shift out of camera position when he was asked difficult questions. Um, let's have a look at the mail. Uh, shall we, Norman? This is a hugely disturbing story. Yes. Uh, of, of coming out of Iran. 
It is, and, and well done to the Daily Mail for keeping it going, actually, because this is not a new story. It's been an abuse, a, a grotesque abuse of human rights, women's rights, over decades now, and it's getting worse. The Iranian authorities, who are full of you know, decrepit old men, frankly, with a very young population, are, are trying to impose their values, their grotesque values, on, on women. And this poor woman here, uh, I think we've got a picture of her somewhere, Roya Hashmati, 33, was... was whipped 74 times for, quote, violating public morals. What was um, she doing? She was refusing to wear a headscarf. That's all she was doing. And it's quite appalling. And she's a very brave woman, because when she was taken into uh, before the judge, she uh, and had she been made to wear a, a headscarf on the way in, she whipped it off as soon as she got into the courtroom as an act of defiance. And, uh, you know, this, this comes in after, of course, succession of women being uh, prosecuted, uh, protesting in the streets, about their, about their right to just dress as they want to dress. Uh, and, of course, we had uh, Masa Amini, a 22-year-old who, uh, who was killed in custody, a 22-year-old killed in custody, being held by the Iranian authorities. This is just a grotesque abuse of human rights, and I think the world must not forget it. Has there been a backlash? Because, I mean... Uh, we uh, well, that's an unfortunate phrase. Um, well, yeah. sorry, that's a terrible phrase. Yes, well, you know what I mean. Has there been a reaction from Iranian, the Iranian public, as we saw in the wake of other previous tragedies? as you say, custodial disasters. Well, I think, I think the trouble is that the, the, uh, the women are... I mean, they've been right. out in the streets, they're, they're frightened, and, yeah. and as soon as they go out in the streets, they're arrested. There are now closed-circuit television cameras there to, to find, not criminals, but to find these women. It's an appalling situation. And, of course, it's the same in Afghanistan. So let's not forget that, for a lot of the world, being a woman is a very dangerous yeah. and difficult place. Yeah, I mean... It's it's a terrifying prospect, that. Well, that's that's a extremely harsh punishment. Mm -hmm. um, Fraser, let's have a look at... We're going to have to get used to Gabriel Attal. Uh, potentially, this could be the next uh, Prime Minister of France. If he's confirmed for the job, he'd be the youngest. Uh, and also the first openly gay Prime Minister. Uh, but this comes off the news that uh, Elizabeth Bourne, the current Prime Minister, is on the way out, uh, sacked by Macron. Essentially, she's been made to carry the can or, you know, for actually quite a disastrous period of uh, Macron's presidency. Uh, he, people may or may not remember, at the last elections, he failed to get a majority in Parliament. So it's been very difficult to push through a lot of his legislation. Uh, a lot of it has had to be pushed through almost by decree, by bypassing Parliament, and it's the Prime Minister that does that. There were huge protests out on the street um, last year over pension reforms, a decision to raise the pension age, some of the biggest protests in years. Uh, there's been huge rows over immigration. The government immigration bill was defeated in Parliament, almost unprecedented. Uh, basically, the left and the right coming together to uh, defeat the Parliament and to defeat, sorry, to defeat uh, the government. So it's been a very rocky period for um, Macron, who not that long ago was sort of depicted as almost like a, a kind of the hero to the centrist hero to slay off populism. The Economist even depicted him as walking on water. Was how much he was sort of admired by the rest of the world. But it's been a very, very he's had a very, very difficult couple of years mm. domestically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if I really want a 34-year-old prime minister to set the job. No offence, <laughs> Gabrielle. <laughs> Seems a bit young. Isn't it? What do you know at 34? Well, I'd rather have a 34-year-old running around than some of these decrepit old oh, men well. running around. So. Well, no, do you know what? Actually, 
Fair point. <laughs> um, Norman, let's talk about the Home Office, uh, where you used to work. Apparently, according to the Times, Rishi Sunak overruled plans to close dozens more migrant hotels, which has left the taxpayers picking up a tab of 1.5 million a day, yes. uh, often for 10,000 empty beds. 10,000 empty hotel beds, and this is on top of the 3,500 beds, which they keep at Marston. Marston is a sort of standby. So a huge number of empty beds. Why is he doing this? Because Rishi Sunak has always been, having been Chancellor, is keen to cut down on expenditure all the time. We know that. Um, uh, why has he done that? Because he's worried that if they get rid of these spare beds, they'll have to get them back into use in the summer when the, when the, when the salients come across from... Uh, from France. So do um, we know when this happened? This, no, we, do we know when it happened? No, we don't know when it happened, really. But October, I think, the Home Office drew up proposals. Quite, when he responded, uh, we don't know, but not very long ago. But the Home Office Insider, quoted in the Times, we don't know who that is, the Home Office Insider, not the Home Secretary, I'm guessing, um, said it exposed the Prime Minister's lack of faith in the Rwanda policy acting as a deterrent, because they're expecting more boats to come across this summer. Well, we already know he doesn't think it's a deterrent, because he said so in those papers. Which... Yes. He was Chancellor at the time, and he was, yes. he was argue, his argument in all of that was that he was asking rigorous questions, but he would deny, yes. wouldn't he? But to be fair, probably deny that he doesn't think it's a deterrent, publicly anyway. Well, he would know, <laughs> but um, you know, the papers speak for themselves, don't they? Yeah. Mm. It's made it the centrepiece of his uh, migration Pledges. policy. Pledges, yeah. You know, it's a bit of a millstone around his neck. I think. Yeah. Yes, you can't stop the boats, you can't start the planes. No, and, uh, and we can't stop the rain. Um, Ooh, there's a song in that. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's I can't, can't stand, stand the rain. rain. <laughs> uh, and and Peebles recently. Oh, yeah. um, Fraser, ministers have been accused of doing little more than staring out of the window and watching mm. the rain come down. Yeah, so this is the, the sad news that 2,000 homes have been flooded by uh, Storm Henk and ministers have been accused of inaction. I suppose, the, of course, you know, when a flood is uh, in progress, there's not that much that a government can do to stop it, but... The real issue is flood defences have been um, allowed to crumble on the government watch. There's about 4,000 flood defences that are sort of rated as low quality and inadequate. I think the message, the, you know, the lesson here is that there isn't really such a thing as a natural disaster in the modern world. We have the ability to mitigate things like floods. We have the ability to manage uh, water better and to plan uh, for these kinds of events. So there shouldn't really be an excuse for uh, people losing their homes on Except it's... All, and, you know, I, to I totally agree, really, the main principle of it. The problem is all these things, Norman, that we come and say, well, the government should have done this, the government should have done that, it doesn't matter which government it is, it's, it's all huge expense, isn't it, which... Which... It is expense, but on the other hand, if you look at the water industry, um, the water companies, private companies, have been raking it in well, they have, uh, they, at the same isn't... time as, as sewage has been discharged, you know, in volume oh. into our rivers. Yeah, but isn't that a separate issue? It's a separate in... issue, no, but it makes a point that it's not a public expense. That was actually water well, that, companies that was... not spending money on what they should be doing in... and raking in for themselves. But in terms of flood defences... I mean, do we need to tie it in? Do we need to say that, that you know water companies need to contribute more to that? Or well, I'm, I'm a great believer that water companies should be should be publicly owned. I think it's wrong that we have an asset like water which is privately run uh, personally. 
But anyway, I mean, the point about the, um, the, 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 the um, flood defences is that they haven't handled it very well. The water companies have been, they've been not been looking at water as a, as a concept, the government. We've now got the situation where um, this post office company, Fujitsu, has been handed another extension to a contract, 19.5 million, to deal with environment agencies. That's extraordinary. Um, I mean, it's that recently? Uh, a yes, it is. It is absolutely, it's recently. Surely so, that has to be reviewed. Well, I think so. I mean, everybody's going on about the post office catastrophe which of course is absolutely right mm. to go on about that but here's a company behind it mm. this government's giving them more money well, this is the point that I wanted to make you know when we talk about um, the honor being stripped uh, for the former CEO and, and, and losing her CBE what does that actually achieve surely more energy and focus and upset should be accord directed at Fujitsu because she's been given this new contract that was yes. a much better use of our outreach it would be. And, and if you look at the eye they also report in the eye the Metropolitan Police are investigating two former Fujitsu experts uh, who are in witnesses and trials as post office managers, so they're being investigated by the police. Uh, You've got the House of Lords last year who said that giving the Fujitsu this contract was, quote, immoral. That's what the House of Lords yeah. concluded. Yeah. And yet they're going ahead with it. £19.5 billion, pounds, million pounds yeah. over to them. Oh, well, look, there we need to leave it with a bit of controversy. Norman Baker, Fraser Meyer, it's been good to Thank see you this guys. morning. Thanks very much indeed. Let's get a check on all the weather details for you now with Avon. Looks like things are heating up. Boxed boilers. Sponsors of Weather on GB News. Hello, a very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day, feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray Forth. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that whole theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be. Minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the southern uplands, otherwise rain at lower level, feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK. For Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells. Widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. Looks like things are heating up. Boxed boilers, sponsors of weather on GB News. Wake up to the headlines with headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Andrew Doyle. 
Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7pm. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. Open your mouth. OK, here comes, a, here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? Oh, whoa! Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Carson, this Saturday night showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians, and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday night showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show. Every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News. Britain's news channel. GB News, unlike other broadcasters, isn't obsessed with the London-Westminster bubble. We think there's a nation beyond the M25, and that's why we talk about the issues that matter across the land. Join me on State of the Nation, 8 to 9 o'clock, Monday to Thursday, on GB News. Daisy's listening, and you should too. Every Sunday from 11, join Michael Portillo. There will be topical discussion, looking at the week before and the week to come. So kick back and relax at 11am on Sundays on GB News with me, Michael Portillo. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Good morning. It is, oh, it's about to turn nine o'clock on Tuesday, the 9th of January. You're tuned into breakfast with Isabel and Stephen. There we go. Bang on nine o'clock. That's very there satisfying. Lo lovely stuff. These are the core stories we've been covering so far this morning on breakfast. It's been a long morning. It has, hasn't it? Uh, the government says plans to fast track appeals of hundreds of post office branch managers will be announced very shortly. More than 700 people were convicted due to faulty software. More pressure on the former post office boss Paula Venels to be stripped of her CBE. Rishi Sunak says he would support the Honours Committee if it decided to do that. Our political editor Christopher Hope is outside Downing Street 
The Cabinet meets the first time in 2024 as the post of a scandal mounts. But how will the PM launch the boil? Uh, we've been asking, have we gone tipping mad? Multi-millionaire Rod Stewart gave hotel staff a whopping £10,000. But when was the last time you had a bill without a hefty service charge? It's getting more dangerous and costly to be on the roads. Car insurers say the number of pothole-related claims has gone up by 40% in just one year. Much of Britain on amber alert for freezing temperatures. Many of you are waking up to snow and ice. The temperatures reaching as low as minus nine degrees Celsius. Yeah, we'll get all the details, of course, from Aidan. There was a small amount of snow in places yesterday. And with a cold start again today, will there be any more of the white stuff? I'll have the full forecast coming up soon. And here with all your sporting updates, it's Paul Coit. I wish I could wear the Franz Beckenbauer boots for you today. I know, I've, I've still got a pair at home. But, um, yeah, we'll be um, looking back at Franz Beckenbauer, one of the greatest footballers of all time, with Stefan Freund, our former German player, who's going to be with us live from Germany Fantastic. virtually. Lovely stuff, Paul. Thank you. You can join any of our discussions. Love to hear from you, as always. GBviews at gbnews.com. So our top story this morning, government ministers have drawn <sighs> urgent plans to clear the names of more than 700 postmasters wrongfully convicted in what's been described as the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. Yeah, the Post Office Minister, Kevin Hollinrake, says he and the Justice Secretary are looking to speed up overturning the remaining cases. And there are a lot of them. Yeah, so far, just 93, 93 of those wrongful convictions have been quashed and four people have taken their own lives. Many other lives have been totally ruined. Uh, we should point out it's been the or it's going to be the first Cabinet meeting of the year. We've also seen some uh, big faces heading down Downing Street already. First one of, uh, for uh, David Cameron, Lord Cameron, the Foreign Secretary, uh, James Cleverley. The Home Secretary also seen wandering down Downing Street. There's uh, Lord Cameron heading in. And there's Cleverly. Yeah, there's Andrew Mitchell as well, who does a lot of the speaking in Parliament on behalf of Lord Cameron, who, of course, can't address the Commons. No. Mm. Well, that's a nice little job, isn't it? Anyway, also standing by there is Christopher Hope, our political editor, who's uh, never far from Downing Street. Are you, Christopher? Look, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> every, a lot of people are asking questions as to why this... I mean, seen as the biggest miscarriage of justice mm. in British history that's been going on for the yeah. best part of 25 years now, and it's taken an ITV drama to put it top of the priority list. Well, Stephen, um, and morning, Isabel, it shows the power, doesn't it, of television, of drama. Now, I'm, I've been around these, this place for about 20 years. I've written a lot of articles for The Telegraph, where I used to work, about the, the scandal about Paul Levenels' CBE but nothing ever happened. To me, it shows uh, a problem with our political class that they weren't willing to listen to ordinary people. Now, these sub-postmasters are pillars of their community. They are trusted by pensioners for their weekly pension. They are people who are respected locally. But despite that, it seems that officials felt that the computer couldn't be wrong, that the people, hundreds of people, were convicted of, of wrongly taking money 
from the post office when they haven't hadn't done this at all. And how to, how to unwind that? There's, there's questions to answer for Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrats. He, of course, was a, was a former post office minister. Sir Keir Starmer, in a small way, some elements of prosecution were done by the CPS, but I think he's less on the hook for this. The Tory government, of course, gave Paula Benelis her CBE when dozens of these convictions have been quashed already. It beggars belief how the establishment, and I mean that across the board, failed to listen to these ordinary people, what they were going through, failed to read newspapers, read reports about what was happening. It was highlighted by Computer Weekly magazine as long ago as 2009. It is a real problem, I think, for this, this whole establishment for ignoring people who frankly deserve better. And that's the challenge this cabinet meeting behind me has got today. They're looking at what they can do next. How can they speed up exonerating the 700 or so post officers, sub former sub-postmasters who are convicted? And that could be a blanket bill to try and quash all of the um, convictions. That looks less likely, more likely is probably a beefed up Criminal Compensation Review Board to look at each individual case quickly and get them resolved because people are getting older. This is a stain, an unwanted, un unnecessary stain on people's lives that must be removed. Yeah, and every day that passes, that compensation bill, frankly, just gets bigger, doesn't it? So it's in everybody's interest, including, of course, the taxpayers, to get this resolved swiftly. Um, you talk about the role of Conservatives with, with awarding the honour um, to the former CEO of the Post Office, but also they're continuing to award contracts to Fujitsu. There are questions, presumably, about that. This is the lead story for yeah. the I. Uh, this one, would you believe it, in relation to flood alert systems in the country, just as the country is, is suffering following on yep. from Storm Henk. It, it, it's completely tone-deaf of the government to keep awarding contracts to Fujitsu. I think £30 million awarded recently to the post office, by the way, for the post office horizon project to ensure that the cloud system where they store all the data from these computers continues for two more years. It is completely tone deaf, I think, for the government to do this. The problem they have is that there are only so many suppliers and if you try and cut out one supplier completely, the other suppliers have more of a, more of a monopoly over the, uh, the computer systems they're trying to survive for government. But I think this is a, this wake-up this wake call, this, this drama we all, we, we, many of us saw over the New Year period, Mr Bates versus the Post Office, has struck at the heart, I think, of, of, of a, of a, of a behaviour towards ordinary people by the establishment, um, by politicians, are willing to ignore, willingness to ignore them, ignore their concerns, which I think has a huge impact on political life here. And that's the wake-up call. I think it, the MPs are are sad what happened, um, official, and they want to see some kind of um, answer here. I mean, Paula Vendels is CBE, a million people have signed a petition saying it should be removed. That is the bare minimum of what should happen next. OK. Christopher Hope, thanks very much indeed. Yeah. As, as Christopher said, as ordinary people, well, that's, that's us, right? And the fact that it's just been ignored for all this length mm. of time mm -hmm. um, is... Ridiculous. Mm. We are the British people at the end of the day. Ah, don't get me started. Let's talk to Shadow Minister for Schools, Catherine McKinnell, who joins us now. Uh, lots to talk to you about. A very good morning to you. First and foremost, on this post office issue, because it is so important, mm. what do you make of these claims that Ed Davies should 
either stand down or be... I mean, certainly apologise. I mean, he hasn't done any of that. He's, he's simply said, now that he's leader of the Lib Dems, that when he was post-office minister, well, he was lied to on an industrial scale, but now to do with me, Gov. I think there is a really important lesson to learn in this whole situation. We know that um, there there has been huge suffering as a result of this miscarriage of justice, and it is a miscarriage of justice. And I do think that the priority has to be ensuring that justice is now delivered, and there's no question around that. And I think the discussion today is rightly around how, how that justice is delivered as quickly as possible to the people that are waiting for it, and unfortunately, people who have already died waiting for it. And, and that is one of the most horrifying aspects of this. Um, but I think, as well, there does need to be a good, hard look at how we got to this situation of it taking so long. And I think there's an independent inquiry underway, and it's right that it looks at all of these issues at, at stages at which information came to light, what was known, and what decisions were taken at which points, and, and that we get to the bottom of this and learn lessons. I think any government needs to learn the lessons of, of what went wrong here, but I think the current government needs to focus on delivering justice urgently to these victims. Yes, and I suppose a long, hard look at the role in all of this and the consequences of all of this should also apply to your leader, Sakir Starmer. Let's have a listen to uh, Nigel Farage. You'll know he has a programme on this channel. Last night he was pointing out his involvement as Director of Public Prosecutions at the time that these allegations were coming to light. The Director of Public Prosecutions, the DPP, which Starmer did, I repeat, from 2008 until 2013, has power under Section 6.2 of the Act, to take over private prosecutions. So, actually, Starmer had the power to take over these prosecutions, or, indeed, to say enough. And it's impossible to believe, given the hundreds of prosecutions that were happening, given the media uh, commentary that was taking place at the time, that he wasn't aware of it. What do you make of that, Catherine? So, uh, you know, the post office is uh, wholly owned by the government and the government has been petitioned for some many years about the, the challenges in relation to this. And as I said, I think everybody needs to look hard at who knew what when and, and what decisions were taken and what could have been done to deliver justice more swiftly for the victims of this egregious miscarriage of justice. Um, but ultimately, we know one of the issues that is being looked at is the system that the post office has been using to uh, prosecute these convictions um, and making sure that that is reviewed and perhaps brought under a different system to make sure this doesn't happen again. But I think it's right that all of this is looked at. But right now, I think it shouldn't distract from the fact that the priority has to be ensuring justice for the victims as quickly as possible. And I think that has to be the focus and the priority today. And it's, it's sad that it is, has come to be a priority as a result of this finally being uh, so keenly felt by the public. And, and it's right that it is, but we do need to look at why it took so long to get to this point. But we need to focus on delivering that justice I just, as quickly as possible. I just wonder what justice means, though, in this sort of circumstance, Catherine McKinnell, because uh, in one of our reports this morning from Theo Chikomba, we, we heard from, from one gentleman 
who'd worked and served in his community for 50 years and was wrongly accused of all of this. He, I mean, his name has been cleared now, but he's had to move to you know, move town. By, he's lost his house, he's lost friends, lost some family. I mean, you can never recover from that, can you? I, I agree. I think it's it's appalling, and some of the stories are just heartbreaking. And we know that whole lives were destroyed, and and families have been devastated by what has happened. So um, I think you're you're right to question that, and I think this is something that we need to look at. I mean, there is a, a legal process that needs to be followed, and I think it's right that we do that for for the for our system, make sure that we we do this right, but also for those victims that that we get this right. Um, but I think we do need to look at these much bigger questions of how this was allowed to happen. Mm. And I speaking... think the independent inquiry needs to do that and we need to learn lessons. OK, uh, speaking of learning lessons, um, I want to talk to you about uh, your role as uh, Shadow Minister for Schools. Um, we've been talking this week uh, about the number of children who have effectively gone missing post-COVID from the classroom. Uh, what is it that Labour will be setting out later today in order to try and address what is frankly a crisis for our young people? So I agree with you, it's a crisis. The numbers are incredibly worrying. It's currently one in five children persistently absent from school, so that's missing 10% or more. And we know that if we don't arrest this development, it's going to be one in four by 2025, 26. So the problem's going to get worse unless action is taken. And that's why Labour wants to see this become a priority. We want to break down the barriers to opportunity for every person in this country. And that means giving the best education to every child, but they can't receive that if they're not in school. And we recognise that there are a whole plethora of issues that are preventing children from getting to school. And we know that it's a partnership between parents, between schools, but also government has a role to play as well and that's why we'll focus on delivering mental health support to young people. We'll have mental health support in every secondary school and in every community and we'll also look at delivering universal breakfast clubs in every primary school paid for so that children get that better start to the school day, but a bit of breakfast but also that extra time in school to develop and socialise as well. Forgive me, just before we run out of time, and, and people may well applaud that, they may well. However, isn't one of the big issues that's come to light with people being persistently off is that it's parents. It's parents saying, well, post-COVID, they just don't see the importance of their children going to school every day. So breakfast clubs or not isn't going to make any difference, is it? You've got to, you've got to get that message through to them somehow. So I think COVID is a challenge, but this isn't just about COVID. This is about a whole reset that we need between government, between school and families. And yes, parents have a role and a responsibility there to make sure their children get to school. But I think government has a role too to make that easier for parents and families and to support them where those challenges arise, which is why we will focus on putting in that mental health support that we know is a big challenge for many families and particularly young people. And breakfast clubs have been proven to okay. improve attainment and also help parents get to work on time get the children into school so government will play its part a Labour government will play its part and we need families to do their part too okay Catherine McKinnell shadow minister for schools thanks very much indeed for your time this morning
It's 9.15, which means 15 glorious minutes until Britain's future will be here at 9.30. Andrew and Bev are already in can, can situ. I just say these yeah, Labour MPs, do they think people have got short memories? That lot wanted to keep schools closed down for a lot longer mm. during Covid. They the did. Tories kept them closed for too long. I wouldn't have closed them at all mm. in hindsight. Mm. But Labour wanted to keep them closed for much longer, yeah, which did. is why we've got this crisis mm. now about kids not wanting to go very to school. Very good point. Yeah. Mm. yeah, very good point. Right, what have you got coming up for us today? Well, weather is a big story. Now, I can, I'm just looking at your inbox and some of your viewers saying that you southern softies don't know what cold weather is <laughs> from Scotland. Uh, we were saying this morning, my daughter went to school without a coat on this morning and Andrew was seeing people at the station <laughs> similarly in T-shirts. Yeah. But we are going to be talking to Emma Sale. She's a businesswoman. You will know her from this channel. Occasionally, she's a commentator. Her house is extremely flooded west of London. We're going to be oh. coming live from Emma's front room to show you what the reality is with maybe it's poor river management, maybe it is too much rain. We're obviously talking about the post office crisis. I think a lot of attention is now focusing on Fujitsu. I know you've raised that in breakfast. Why are they not paying any money? Because they're worth 150 billion, mm -hmm. and it's only the taxpayers so far. We've got David oh, Davis yeah. coming in, Paul Scully, a former post office minister, who doesn't have blood on his hands, in my view. And also, why have these supermarkets put up the price of non-alcohol products? Outrageous, Twenty-two percent yes, since December the third. Yeah. Oi, I'm doing dry January. No. They're ripping us off. I'm very surprised that you're going out. Stop it! I managed two days. Right. Well, well done. It well dragged done. on a bit by Friday. Uh, right. tonic. We're out of time, you two. We'll see you at 9.30. Uh, but don't go anywhere. We're going to be remembering the great Franz Beckenbauer, the Kaiser, in just a moment. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens. With our team of dedicated journalists across the UK, we're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's tonight, 9 till 11pm, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Join us every night on GB News at 11pm for Headliners, which is three top comedians going through the next day's news stories, which is exactly what you need, because when the establishment has gone crazy, you need some craziness to make sense of it. Headliners, you don't have to bother reading the newspaper, we've got it covered for you every night at 11pm and repeated every morning at 5am. We won't send you to sleep like some of the other paper review shows out there. So join us 11pm every night on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. So send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. 
GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Tired of the usual focus-tested, pre-prepared Westminster runaround? Well, so am I. So you want higher taxes? Is your department to blame for this? Are you rethinking this policy? Every Sunday at 9.30, I'll be sitting down with those in power to get the truth about the issues affecting you. Let's be honest, we've known about the cost pressures of this project for years, not months. That's the Camilla Tomini Show, a politics show with personality. On GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels, we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Good afternoon, Britain. Join us, Tom and Emily, to find out what's happening in the heart of Westminster and why it matters to you. Weekdays from midday, we bring you the most compelling stories from across the United Kingdom. And from your doorstep to our inbox. That's right, we want to hear from you. GB News. Britain's news channel. Nine twenty-one. Let's have a look at all the latest sports news for you this morning. Paul Coit is here as always, and actually, I'm doing that in a cheerful voice. There's a, there's a lot to be quite sad about. There is two greats of the 1970s sport um, that have passed away. One from rugby, the other one from football. We're talking about Franz Beckenbauer, De Kaiser, De Kaiser, the greatest, one of the great. Well, I mean, we look at Pele. I mean, the thing is, when, when people pass away, and it's always you get the tribute saying how great they were and they were this and they were that, as far as, when it, uh, as it comes to De Kaiser and it comes to Franz Beckerbauer, we have Pele, we have Maradona, uh, we look at Bobby Moore and Bobby Charlton, who only passed away just a few months ago, uh, and now Franz Beckerbauer, unfortunately, who played against Bobby Charlton and marked him in the 1966 World Cup I was going to say 66 is just becoming so important, isn't it, when you look back mm. at these greats that are now actually going at very similar times. But, yeah, but it's not an old age either. They're all sort no. of in their 70s, aren't they? Mm. Which isn't... It isn't old in this day and age. No, it isn't. It isn't, unfortunately. But um, if you just look at the career, though, of, of Franz Beckenbauer, he's, he's one of only three men that actually won the World Cup as a player and a manager as well. Only happened with Brazil and France uh, as a... World Cup winner back in 1974, uh, playing for West Germany and then as a manager in 1990. A Bayern Munich legend as well. And, and for people of my age, if we look back on the great Bayern Munich sides and being a, being a kid growing up, and we didn't hear as much as we would about European football as kids do now, but there was still that legend about Bayern Munich. There was him, there was Gerd Müller. I mean, basically, most of that Bayern Munich side were the German team, or the West German yeah. team, I should say, um, that there were later on. So, I mean, uh, just a great loss. And then, of course, we've got JPR Williams. Oh, I know, uh, just 74. Uh, just 74 years old. JPR, people remember JPR Williams as this great, there he is, legendary, With great Welsh fullback. Those, yeah, and look at that. Now, that's trademark JPR. The sideburns, the rolled-down socks. Now, this is a real 
tough guy. This was a real hard man, but also worked as a surgeon, uh, orthopedic well, surgeon phenomenal. as well. <laughs> it is. This well, is always amazing. Well, they me. all had to have jobs, didn't they, well, they in did. rugby before they could get a, a wage from it? So they were all sort of lawyers and doctors in their spare time. But you wonder, don't you, about a surgeon whose hands are so important to yes. him. But this is someone that is just would never shy away from getting involved in a bit of a dust-up. Play for the British Lions as well. And uh, I, I said the quote earlier, which I just love, and, I th and, and JPR put that in his autobiography, saying that 50% of his life was actually trying to break bones and then the other 50% was actually trying to put them back together again. Yeah. Uh, Paul, good to see you. Thank you very Thank much you. indeed, as Thank we you. say. Uh, being in your 70s is no great age. Snapping. Just ask Andrew Pearce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, so cheeky. We'll be back tomorrow. Over <laughs> to Andrew and Bev. Have a great day. Hello, very good morning to you. It's Aidan McGiven here from the Met Office with the GB News forecast. A frosty and, in some places, icy start to the day. Feeling cold everywhere. Many places, though, will be dry. Just some sleet and snow showers still affecting the south and southwest, mainly South Devon, southwest Cornwall. They'll tend to fade away through the day. And the odd drizzly rain shower affecting the North Sea coast of northeast England. Otherwise, for many, it's dry, a lot of sunshine about, particularly towards the southeast and the northwest. Some cloud in between, persistent across northeast England, where it will feel cold with a brisk northeast wind and some stubborn fog for the Murray Forth. So, actually, mixed conditions as far as sunshine is concerned, but either way, it is cold. And that cold theme continues into the evening and overnight with clear skies in the south as well as the west. That's where the harshest frost will be, minus one to minus two Celsius in main urban areas, lower than that in the countryside. Frost-free for the North Sea coast. Here, milder air is arriving, a lot of low cloud to begin things on Wednesday, and some drizzly showers. They'll be falling as snow over the tops of the Pennines and the Southern Uplands, otherwise rain at lower level feeling cold with the wind blowing the low cloud and the showers in from the North Sea. Plenty of sunshine for the southern half of the UK. For Western Scotland, Northern Ireland also doing well for sunny spells. Widely temperatures at 5 or 6 Celsius. GB News is Britain's news channel and now you can support it. All you have to do is scan that QR code that's up on your screen right now or you can go to gbnews.com forward slash support and become a GB News member. You'll have fantastic benefits. We're also going to organise special events where you as GB News members can meet the presenters, the on-screen faces. Scan the QR code or go to gbnews.com slash support. Thank you so much. Big news, big debates, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7pm. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. Open your mouth. OK, here comes, a, here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? Whoa! Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. 
I'm Andrew Doyle. Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Wake up to the headlines with Headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. Every Sunday from 11, join Michael Portillo. There will be topical discussion, looking at the week before and the week to come. So kick back and relax at 11am on Sundays on GB News with me, Michael Portillo. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. Sir, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Carson, this Saturday Night Showdown.